I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind, and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know, the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, they missed the bowl of kaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room, where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, everybody? Wakanda. Wakanda. Yeah. <laughs> My man, Chris. Look, look, look at Chris. Carl got his Wakanda shirt on. Like, I know. He cute. I look know. at him. <laughs> got his muscles all out. You know, got his little 16s on. I took you. my extra. <laughs> you, you know, the, the day we met, we met at this 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 NAACP thing, right? Right. And there was like all these, like of those pop, you know, like. Like that things. one. Yeah, yeah, you were there. You I were was there. there. And, uh, um, and at my table, like, they left. You know, the people left. Oh, yeah. There was like they, six there. They didn't know what there. they were sitting on. They <laughs> yes. know what they're there were six there. So, like, you know, so I said, well, I'm going to take all six <laughs> and sell them on eBay because they were left. And I'm leaving and I'm, like, and I'm, and I'm trying to sneak out, you know. <laughs> he didn't and, bring his bag, dude. No, I, did, I didn't know. Mm. And I made a bundle yeah, up in his I'm bosom. Like, like come on, head. bro, really? And then, you know, what happens is um, Jeff Bird's like, Chris, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> Come on. I was like, all right, all right. Yeah, all right. I'm going to put them Now, what you don't re- recall is after everybody left, the people that were responsible for the event had a box of them. Right. And they oh, were like, you really? want them? I'm like, yeah. Really? Yeah. Fuck. So I got a Killmonger and a T'Challa. I was good. See, I need to hey. on. I, you know, I need to put mine on eBay shortly. Yes, dude. Get some cash. <laughs> How much do you think it'll go for? I have no idea, man. Yeah. Um, eBay, you never know. That's true. You never know. And we got those before the movie had come out. So, right. That's true. yeah. That's what's up. Yeah. So, y'all know how we do it on the Rant Room. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture. But our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Little disclaimer, Lisa Bolacaja is out doing her little thug thizzle out there somewhere. <laughs> Probably at the... Where, where's she in? Big Bear? Where's she at? Somewhere. She's somewhere I mean, in the woods. Yeah, into the woods, killing people, <laughs> throats and shit. <laughs> so we got my man Chris Derek in the house from the writing directing team, the Derek brothers. What's up, Chris? I'm just yeah. Busy. Your phone on silent call. I'm fucking busy this week. I, this last two weeks, I am. You know, there's been a personal thing that's fucking been killing me. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> finally wrapped that up. Uh. I have notes on a feature script that I was workshopping last night. Mm-hmm. I have my Daredevil spec. I'm trying to get done. Oh, you doing? Next, oh, I forgot you said you was doing yeah, Daredevil. I'm trying to get done by next Friday so I can All bring right. in my writers group. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I want to. You know, I that short idea I told you about earlier about the shooting. Mm-hmm. I need to do that. You have to do it. I need to do that. So I'm you have to tell Carl about that one later on. Looking forward to hearing about that one. Yeah. That's deep. Yeah. That's deep. Yeah. And I think I think it's current. I think it has legs on it. It's one of the things people always ask me. We'll get into you in a second. We'll call you ain't nobody. Um, <laughs> 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 he ain't nothing but Mister Kyle Seaton. You know, pimp dog. Himself. Hey, I'm just happy to be here, man. <laughs> Around this black excellence, man. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. Um, but I tell young filmmakers all the time. 
<clears throat> if you're going to make a short film, the way to make it compelling is to make a project that everybody else hasn't done. Or take a topic like you did and spin it. You feel me? Oh, yeah. That's how you do oh, it. Yeah. Because everybody's talking about it. They're not going to stop talking about this topic for at least another five, ten years. They can't. It's got legs. Yeah. You see? Mm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, because it'll never change. Because no. the, the country is not is not no. ready for it. We ain't ready for it. We're not ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Carl. What you gonna say? No, I'm just saying. I, I did that a couple of years ago. I did a short called Kareem. It was a 12 minute silent film. It mm. dealt with uh, what I thought was the onset of violence in Chicago. Mm. I didn't know it was gonna get much worse when mm. I did. I did it in like 2010, mm-hmm. not realizing that we, they were just scratching the surface with the right. violence. But yeah. I did it in a way there was no dialogue mm. and. It was a visual thing from the point of view of, the, of, a, of a young guy, and not not the young guy. The point of view of a, a man who witnessed part of it, but not all of it, hmm. and how he, how it affected him. And how he took right. action afterwards. So, right. yeah, I mean, you take like to echo what you said when you take a subject matter that you know has legs that, mm-hmm. that is you know compelling. Mm-hmm. It can definitely uh, open doors for you. Right, so, right, right. And there's also thinking out the box because uh, a lot of short films are like low hanging fruit. Like, okay, this subject matter, like, okay. Right. You, know, you, you go to film festivals, you see the same fucking film with just different faces. Different faces, yeah. All the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Totally, totally. Yeah. So, y'all hear his voice. We got my man on the show, our big bro, Carl Seaton in the hey, house. Hey, hey, hey. Writer, producer, director. <laughs> okay, what's going on, Carl? Hey, man, just happy to be here, man. Yeah. I am a huge, huge fan of the show, so I'm honored to be here, man. I How big you, of a fan are you? Let's I, tell a kid. I am so big a fan. Of, I tell everybody, <laughs> all filmmakers I know, to check out the show because you all drop a lot of gems of game and uh, a lot of insight. And perspective mm-hmm. that if you're really serious about the craft, it'll help you grow each episode. You yeah. learn something. Somebody says something about something, either a book, be it a film, be mm-hmm. it some type of a project program, whatever, that you can, if you are really hungry about your craft and being the best you can be, you guys give everybody homework every week, Thank which you, is what man. I love about it. So appreciate and you can discuss it. Oh, it's, it's great, man. Yeah, then you we, can have topics and it's funny, you know what I'm saying? You all <laughs> we, we have stupid in here. Yeah, and it's, and it's not like you all are monolithic. Right. Everybody has different opinions and everything right. like that. And it's a really cool show. Right. I, I wish it had existed 25 years ago. But Well, it's know. a trip because we, 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 we just dropped our 200th episode and we were talking about like some of our favorite things that we've done or whatever. And I was talking about how when Lisa and I first started, Chris has been on for like the last, what, year, year and a half now or some shit? Maybe a year. Yeah. A year. Maybe. <clears throat> it feels like, I, I don't remember you not being on. That, that's yeah. how good he is to me, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the trip is, we started this thing, and you know, Lisa's like pro-black, feminist, you know, sci-fi, cinephile geek, mm-hmm. and I'm not hardly any of those, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I had to learn, and I always tell everybody, I talked to you and Jeff about this too, when you do your show, it's your responsibility to listen to it because you grow and learn from it. <clears throat> now, I was talking about there's, there's times you listen to the show and I let you guys go. I hardly even say anything mm-hmm. because yeah. the game is coming from you at the moment. Yeah. I just steer us wherever we're going right. you know, or bring us back to whatever's happening. Where, where I was going with that was Lisa can, 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 can tend to uh, uh, go off on these rants that could be against what I might believe in. Right. So my job, if I listen, is to go, Okay, if I'm the audience listening to this, I have to be the voice of the audience. So I have to step in and go, Okay, let me play devil's you see I do that all the time. Oh yeah. Let me play Mm -hmm. devil's Devil's advocate. advocate. I'm playing devil's advocate for the audience. Not because I necessarily believe or not. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. But I have to because if I don't, they think I believe that. Right. And that's what what makes it that and that's what makes the conversation Mm -hmm. that much more engaging. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah, because the one thing I feel happens on too many shows and stuff is uh, 
people don't want to present the opposing point of view enough, right. you know? And then, like, say if you're on Fox News and they have a liberal. <laughs> really? Right. <laughs> really? How much are you being paid to be on that show exactly. and to be a liberal exactly. voice? Because you're not. And same with, with, with the other stuff. Like, you know, and, and I think that's, that's a good point because that one we did with, like, Linnell mm-hmm. and they were talking about the Universal Fan Con mm-hmm. and you were like, well, hold on a minute. Right. Cause, because, you know, like, they had a real beef Take pick. It. And Take I was it. like, I mean, right. I don't know anything about it really, but right. is it, but it, but I was was it was interesting to hear what they had to say because I was like, I didn't know people would be that serious. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I knew people would be that serious, but I don't think people get that serious. Like, like, it, like sometimes I'm always amazed at how deep fandom runs, right? You know, people I mean, take it personally. People do. They have yeah. ownership in it, yeah. don't they? It's a personal you investment. Know? You know what Absolutely. I mean? And, and I'm yeah, sure yeah. you're learning that now. We'll get into you in, in, in a sec. You're learning that directing TV. You're starting to see perspective coming from your audience who's watching. Yes. Telling you guys, why doesn't this character do this? Or why did you oh, kill that person or whatever? Oh, you know what goodness. I mean? Yes. Oh, yeah. I so. killed you because I felt it was necessary. <laughs> <laughs> I want y'all to talk and be mad. So I kill people. <laughs> <laughs> I love Notes. it though, man. I, I love that investment because they, they, they care about the material. Mm-hmm. They care about the content. They care about the storytelling. And that just kind of fuels the narrative as well. Right, so right. that you know, when you're when you're putting the, your episodes together, all that is in the back of your head. Like, okay, this is this is the why we're doing all of this. You know, mm-hmm. behind everything we're doing, all the pageantry, the circumstances, the execution. This is the why, so that mm-hmm. this audience can respond to it. Because the worst thing you can have is something out there that no one responds. Like, eh, okay, right. you know what I'm saying? You want somebody to be like, yeah. I can't believe you all just did that. So right. you know, and it, it starts with the you know. The vision of the show, the writing, you know, and then, you know, bringing the vision to life with the crew and the cast. So. so let's just go back a little bit and tell the kids who you are, how you got into the game and how you got to where you are now, what you're doing right now. All right. OK. That's well, enough. In a, <laughs> in a nutshell, once again, my name is Carl Seaton. Uh, originally from the s- Chicago, south mm-hmm. side of Chicago. Uh, nobody in my family's in the business, but mm-hmm. I grew up watching a lot of movies, a lot of TV shows. Loved it, but didn't know I wanted to do it until I saw Do the Right Thing. Mm. And when I came out of the theater... After seeing do the right thing, I said, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to move people the way I was moved because right. I, you know, I come out of the theater with my sister and my cousin. They're like, what are we going to eat? I'm like, man, hold on. I, I can't eat right now. I need right. to process what I just witnessed. Mm-hmm. Sal's see just it. got fucking burned. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Sal's burned down. You know, Mookie threw the, Mo- the, the, the money away. I understand, why right. threw, I understand why he threw the garbage can. I also understand why he picked the money up. So it, it's a lot of different moving parts in this story right. that I identify with personally mm-hmm. as a young black man. You know, and I was like, wow. And it would also like at that time, at that time in America, there was kind of this like resurgence of black male empowerment. Mm. You know, there was like because I was it like the second wave from like the sixties or no, some shit. Or no, what do you think no, it was? Well, no, no, because I I feel like in the, in in eighty eight and eighty nine, hip hop. The release of Public Enemies, two albums, mm-hmm. kind of said something about we can be strong right. yeah. and not be militant, but we can be strong. Yeah. And there's power in that strength that we, that we have to we have to reclaim. Okay. You know, right. I th- I mean, because you know, there's a really fascinating book. I mentioned it before. It's called American Skin, mm-hmm. and it talks about how. Uh, you know that that the fear of black men in America 
uh, by the public image began to be eroded by that Mean Joe Green Coke commercial. Oh, right, right. You know, right. and, and and then it happened a little more with 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 Michael Jordan mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. But it kind of punched through <clears throat> with do the right thing and things like that because it was done in a, because it was done as a as an art film that spoke to everybody. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, I, I remember that year that summer it came out. I went to college the next year, mm-hmm. and everybody white was asking me, <clears throat> "Why did Mookie take the money?" You know, and I was like, "What the fuck? Like, don't y'all know? Carl knows, you know." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody in the theater was like, "He better take that, that money. money. Right. He better take that money." Right. You know, right. and he having this conversation going off on style, going off on style. And it, it, I mean, he buttoned the scene by taking the money. I said, "Okay, that's a real dude." Right. You know, and, right. and everybody was clapping. It's funny when you watch a movie in the hood, and then you watch it. In a, in a theater where the people aren't from the hood, and the mm-hmm. responses are, are drastically different. Right. Like when I saw Black Panther, I said, "Okay, I got to see this in the hood too," mm-hmm. and I got to see it. I saw the arc light, and I saw it in the hood. And I'm like, "Okay, two very different mm. experiences, man." Which is, but but like, like you said, we, we, like we have our to, own perspective. It's like going to see Rocky Horror Picture Show, <laughs> where everybody's got the rice and they're dancing. They're, they're, they're all involved. Everybody's yeah. singing along and doing too. the choreography and whatnot. Right. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. But but to add on to what you were saying, man, there, there was a surgeons, man. It was like. You had Nation of Millions coming out. You had PE. You had NWA. Right. Mm-hmm. You had the autobiography of Malcolm X surging in terms mm-hmm. of sales and reading and things like that. You had Farrakhan giving out these speech, doing these right. speeches. He was in his height. He was at his right. height. Right. He was at his zenith. When Savior's Day would happen, it was like wow. And it was, I was like the first. I'm not say the first time, but that was when our power was was being it was the first time it was really visible like that. Mm-hmm. And it was raw mm-hmm. and it was unfiltered. And 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 you, like you said, it did kick over the door. For Michael Jordan in the '90s to be this marketing, you this know, is pre-internet, right? Yeah, this is way pre. Yeah, it's, 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 it's '89. Well, because see, the thing, the, you know, the the difference between what happened in like in '88, '90, '91, then say what happened during the civil rights time, where there was this other surgence of black males, like we need it was black people in general, but we need some dignity. Right. Is that we were fighting to erase Jim Crow and all of that. And now that that was now like twenty years past, it was like different fight now. Yeah, right. Don't need mm-hmm. to you know to be recognized just to be fight to be recognized by society. Mm-hmm. So now it's like okay, society, you got to respect us. There's a little difference, but I, but that's I think a good point. I never but, but I like think that. that's what yeah. happened in nineteen in, at, at that, and it also coincided with the end of the Cold War, which in my opinion <laughs> has not been explored enough about about. How that has affected the loss of edge in pop culture, hmm. but that's another episode. Okay. okay, okay, all right. I look forward to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you saw do the right thing, and that inspired you. It inspired me, and I said, okay, I want to make films. And uh, everybody was like, oh, okay, right. What, what does that mean? It's foreign where like, you're from, right? What do you mean make movies? Yeah. You know? And uh, so I, I went to uh, college. Wait, how old were you about this time? I was 17. Okay. Yeah, and uh, so that, that started the journey, not knowing how long the journey would be. Right. I mean, I was clueless. So mm-hmm. I said, okay, I didn't know the difference between a producer and a director. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what's the difference? And uh, find out all these elements and went, went down to college, uh, went to school, started studying film. The school I went to had, was more theory-based. Where'd you so go? I went to Southern Illinois University in Carbondale the first, but then okay. I transferred to Columbia College, and that's when I really... Immerse myself in, in filmmaking okay. and the craft and learning about, you know, the language of film, how to tell a story and so forth. And, I, and also how to execute it. So we were, sh- we were co- shooting on Bolexes, <sighs> cutting Bolex. on, you know, like Steinbecks and yeah, shit. Just, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. It was a physical thing. It was a, an art. It was processed, man. But I, I loved it. I was like a fish in water, man, right. just like drinking it all up. I could watch movies all day and not just watch movies, but you had people there that could break down 
a movie so that you, you knew why this scene was purposeful. There was nothing arbitrary about it. How everything was planned out, the schematics and everything like that. So it was just a great educational boost. But mm-hmm. once I got out of school, it was like, okay, um, now what? I got this great <laughs> degree, graduated with honors and everything, with this film degree, but right. nobody's trying to hire me. So I started doing like a lot of crew work. And I'm a bigger guy. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, okay. And this oh, is right. definitely they can use right. you. Right. They're like, oh yeah, grab that dolly. Exactly. Take up those four flights of stairs. <laughs> I'm like, huh. and this this when you know hip hop videos were all on that grunge shit. Right. Like we're gonna shoot this in this abandoned factory right. where right. the rats are like big as little dogs. <laughs> <laughs> grab that dolly, move those rats out of the way, and take it up those four flights of stairs. I'm like, all right, this this got to give. And I said, okay, <laughs> this is not my route. And and I'd also been reading Spike's books because Spike would always do a book with every film. Right. He did. Uh, he's got to have it. Uplift the race. Do the right thing. Five for five. Jungle Fe- um, several books. Yeah, the, and, uh, yeah. I remember the the Jungle Fever book. So I did he? Did he just stop at some point? With I think movies? he did. Yeah, he he stopped after X. Oh, okay. Yeah, after X. Mm-hmm. By any means necessary. Right. But in those books, he would just give you more game. Right. And uh, he was like, and and uh, you see, he got, he got the master class now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. Yeah. I saw that. I was yeah, thinking yeah. about just yeah. watching it. Just uh, yeah, me too. Just just on just GP. out of curiosity. Just on GP. Right, he's got right. one, and Mark Scorsese he's got one, right. and 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 the thing about Spike, just I'm gonna sidetrack for a second. Like Spike has got a there's a list. It's online somewhere, but like he has a list of I think like 50 films, maybe 100 films that that when he teaches at NYU, he teaches like every other year or something mm-hmm. the first semester. Okay. Yeah. Like he's basically like you gotta not just watch these 100 movies, you gotta know them. For my class, like for my, like wow. it's kind of like that prep, prep, yeah, the prep. 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 Uh, you come for, in aware of these, you better, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just like I think it's fifty films, but it's but the, it's all these interesting movies that should be seen. That I think that 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 are they like the the bicycle thief that type of films? Or are they more present day? Um, it ranges. Oh, okay. it, it's, it's 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 it ranges from like some Kurosawa stuff okay. to you know to. To some to some German seventy stuff to to recent stuff, and I know he updates it all the time when new I, stuff okay. comes out because mm-hmm. you know That's there's always new stuff to yeah. that you should be looking at, you know. Yeah, yeah Spike, <laughs> love that guy, man. But Chirac literally broke my heart, man. <laughs> broke my heart. <laughs> A dude from Chicago. Man. I'm like, what the fuck is this? So let me just ask you this: Did you who wrote? Did he run it? Did he write it too? No. The okay. guy who wrote... Uh, Is it somebody from Chicago? No. The guy who wrote Miracle of St. Anna wrote it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. It, it just... It, you know what? It's, here's the thing. Chicago has a very distinct culture right. and a very distinct voice. So if you put something in that, in that environment and say it's from Chicago, right. it's just going to reek of, no, nah, that's not it. Mm. You got to go back to the drawing board, right. you know, because there's a like I said, it's such a large, it's it's a large city. It's not New York, it's not LA, but it's still a very large city with a very distinct voice that has evolved through the years due to the politics, the segregation, and, mm-hmm. and, the, and the, the the economic situation, and everything like that. So when you see something, the first thing you're looking for is the authenticity. Say, okay, that's home, okay. But when you start seeing things like, I don't know where this is at. So he, he took this story idea, which isn't a bad story idea, but he put it in a City that has a very huge <laughs> problem already dealing with you know the influx of guns, mm-hmm. uh, the, young, the violence with the youth, lack of mentorship, lack of opportunities, and things like that. And so we already have you know a hotbed of issues going on, and for you to put this film there and say this film's going to address those, and it's it's not even getting close to it. It was like a just a disconnect. Okay, it's interesting because I, I feel like. If he had done that movie in New York, 
then he knows how to tell that story in right. New York, right? Because right. he's done all these things in New York. But I always say to myself, you know, like the filmmakers, when they step out of some place where they've grown up or something like that, and they tell a very specific story like this, are they able to do it successfully or not if they choose to really immerse themselves in what's happening? You know, because I, I, I just feel like certain movies you see... And even though, like, this filmmaker is not, say, from New York or from L.A. or from Chicago, <clears throat> they have a point of view on it that feels authentic mm-hmm. to the city, even though they're not there. Well, let me ask you a question. Now, I don't mean to interrupt your thought. Forgive me. It just, it just hit me for some reason. I, this is what I was thinking. I was wondering, you know how sometimes when you get successful, and I wonder if you're going to this. Just hear me out on my point. You get to the point where you start getting really successful, and you, you forgot how you used to be poor. You feel me? Mm. So what I'm wondering is, just hear me out. I'm wondering if when he did do the right thing, he was only a few years away from being poor. Mm. He still remembers what it's like to have that struggle. That's why that movie had so much angst. Now we're 20-something years later when he does Chirac, right? Mm-hmm. He, ain't had, he ain't had that feeling in a long time. So I'm wondering if it's lacking it's not even, that It's not a poverty soul. thing. It's not a poverty thing, man. Okay. It's, it's a... As a filmmaker, when you're telling a story, that's your homework. You know, you, Spielberg did it with Color Purple. Right. You know, and he didn't know that world. It's one of my favorite movies. And, and he yeah. humbled himself right. and talked to Alice Walker and all mm-hmm. the powers of being and said, you know, let's investigate. Let's do our research. It's research, right. you know? And you, you can, when you see Chirac, you see lazy research. It reeks of lazy research. Mm. And as a filmmaker who's, who's rooted, and you're telling a story in a world that exists, it has to have some authenticity because if it doesn't, you're like, okay. You didn't do your homework. And that's one of the biggest lessons that you learn in filmmaking. For a director, you must always do your homework. If you don't make your day or something goes wrong or you can't get an actor to do something, it all comes back to you because you didn't do your homework. You know, even even if the obstacle is way beyond your 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 fault, Mm -hmm. it all falls on your shoulders because you didn't do your homework. You didn't prepare. You didn't make a plan A or a plan B or a plan C and sometimes a plan D. And like I said, when you're telling a story labeled Chirac, which most Chicagoans hate that term in the right, first place. Right. So the fact he didn't even address that, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's like this, man. I tell, my, I tell Jeff Bird all, this all the time. He did Chirac. That's like me saying, I'm going to do a movie about Brooklyn in 1989 <laughs> about the Decepticons. Right. And I'm going to make it a musical. Right. <laughs> have them wearing various colors and pastels and all that kind of stuff. That's basically what, she, what he did. Right, you know right. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if, if you're from Brooklyn from a certain time and you know about the Decepticons and how they used to move, mm-hmm. and you see this as a musical, they're dancing and doing choreography and all the <laughs> West Side Story, she's like, what the fuck is this? That's the same kind of angst. Okay, That's basically what it is. Yeah, see, because see, to me, I remember watching the trailer, <clears throat> I know it's based off of like some old Greek play, but I'm saying to myself- yeah, Lissa, Lissa Strata. Yeah, and I'm saying to myself, I mean, like, he doesn't need, if he wants to take it so experimental, mm-hmm. which I applaud people who do experimental filmmaking the most, and particularly today, because it's so hard to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he needs to call it Chirac. I, I mean, like, like, like he could, it's, it's almost like if you're doing an allegory, then you really got to push the allegory levels so that it's not so specific right. to Chicago, and therefore it it probably it probably worked better if it was like if it was Any anywhere else. USA. It was, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Okay. you know. Yeah, yeah. Right. But when you're when you're when you're labeling it Chirac, you're exploiting a city a city 
in a, a current situational climate that is very toxic and, and, and dangerous. Mm. And for you to exploit it and then not even do it justice is the travesty. That's the crime right there. Right, right. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Still love him though. I mean, oh, I, no, I he's him. still, you know, you, you, you started off by saying. I mean, I owe I, I, my career to seeing yeah. it. I said, this black man is making films as a director, producer, right. writer. I'm like, wow. He's inspired me to do this. Right. So. Like, I could do that. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so trip. So you graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got from college. College, working on music so videos, doing videos, just hustling, hustling. And then yeah. I started writing. Mm-hmm. I, so I, what made you start writing? Were you writing in college, or were I you wasn't really writing heavily in college. I took mm-hmm. screenwriting courses, just you know, for, in, in that regard, mm-hmm. and and which was cool. But I didn't really start aggressively writing until I linked up with my buddy, my frat brother Kenny Young, mm-hmm. and uh, he was an actor. And he's like, we can write together, create our own projects. And I remember reading that from Spikes, and he said, right. writing creates jobs. Right. I'll never forget that. Writing creates totally. jobs. You know? totally. So we said, we're going to create jobs for ourselves, because nobody's going to hire me to direct. Right. He says, I'm having a hard time getting work as an actor. So we really started writing our own short films. And, and, just, and in doing that, it's very empowering, man, because you see yourself leapfrogging a lot of people that are just kind of on this, this hamster wheel mm-hmm. trying to figure things out. But when you create you know, content, Especially back then, when you, when we were when you were shooting films, either on sixteen or thirty five back, you didn't mm-hmm. have HD cameras. You couldn't shoot on your phone. You know, you, if you edited, you had to you edit on the Avid. All the kids know. are like, "What?" They're like, "What? What's that?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can shoot a film and edit on your phone now, which is crazy. A certain amount of, to me, there's a certain amount of discipline that if you had grown up and started your craft in the in the moviola days, the Bowex days, and shit like that, it's a discipline to how you approach your work. Mm. That's true because you say to yourself. You constantly, because it was kind of hammered into you, you don't get 50 takes. <laughs> shot economics. You got to get economics. like, you know, like, oh, I guess what? You know what? This reverse shot, we just need him to say this line. Mm-hmm. We right. don't need to get the whole scene <laughs> because, you know what? There's only a fucking, there's only 500 feet left in the, in the magazine. Yeah. It's rolling out. In the magazine, 500 feet. What does that mean? You right. know, people didn't right. even know what the fuck that is. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. so, but it makes you think. <laughs> Makes you really think, and it makes you go, okay, you know what? Like plan A might not work, and, and maybe plan C needs to work now mm-hmm. because yeah. we because our resources are now at the breaking point, yeah. you know. And it mm-hmm. and, it's, and it it it, it kind of gives you this sense of urgency. Now they're like the battery's low. We got another ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another ten minutes, and then we got to recharge, or <laughs> reload. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a great point because it led me to my my first feature is called One Week. And it's about a guy who finds out the week before his wedding, he may have contracted HIV. So Kenny Young and I co-wrote it. Wait for it. It's a comedy. Yeah, I mean, it, it, <laughs> it, it's, it's a, a, a dramedy. It's a dramedy. It's a dramedy. <laughs> now, right initially, here. it was written as a flat-out comedy. Right. We wrote it as a straight-up comedy. <laughs> and then we sat on it and said, yo, we, this subject matter is way... Once we started doing research, mm-hmm. once we started doing research, we are like, oh, this is way too much of a subject matter to just you know, label as a comedy and approach as a comedy. Okay. So as, at, out of respect to the subject matter... Right. We started to infuse a little bit. So you added more drama. drama. Got, yeah. It. Got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and man, we wrote that script and we wrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it. I mean, we, 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 would, we would go hard, man. We, I mean, I think we shot the 13th or 14th draft okay. of the script. That's right. And this is constantly workshopping it. And, uh, and even still, I see like, man, we could have done this better. We could have done that. But we shot it. We, I, don't think you, I don't think you're ever going to do e- that. Ever. Spielberg and, and you have to accept going, that, right. Man, there's that one scene. But when, when you talk to other filmmakers and they say you that, right. like, wait, the Palmer just said that? Oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. All right, let me relax then. <laughs> so we, 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 we got the film, we, we got the script done, and now I was trying to raise the money. And that's when our other partner came in, Phil James. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started trying to raise the money. At one point in time, we were pledged a million dollars to shoot the film. Okay. And First movie, that's not bad. 
Well, with every said, wait for it. Hold on, wait for it. Because <laughs> for every five investors that mm-hmm. you know you meet with, four are going to flake. Four are going to just say no. Right. The fifth one's going to flake you out. Right. So it's that sixth man come off the bench that you come through with. Mm-hmm. So we went from having a million dollars pledge to half a million dollars to a quarter million dollars to hundred thousand to okay <laughs> to, to here's ten dollars, fifteen dollars. <laughs> Fifteen dollars, yo. Fifteen. <laughs> right. Some so, IOUs and shit. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we, I mean, we we scrounged up some money. Oh, we all had little money saved up, mm-hmm. and at around this time, my mom was addicted to the riverboat gambling oh, right. casinos. Okay. And you'd be like, Mom, you got to stop going to these casinos. This is just ridiculous. And, and she this one day she won fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> what? And gave us ten of that fifty thousand. Okay. Man. And that shit. we use that. To build up to to add on to our budget, and then mm-hmm. we had a couple of other investors come in, so we had a total budget of fifty thousand right. bucks. So we shot the film on thirty five millimeter. So that sounds mm-hmm. to me. I'm be interrupting you. Forgive mm-hmm. me. That sounds like to me, which is what Chris and I do all the time. We make all kind of projects. It's about using your resources. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Especially in in Chicago, where you're from, you probably had. I always say, people always like, well, I don't know how to shoot. I mean, how am I going to? I'm like, I, I guarantee you, you go to a coffee shop all the time. You go to, there's you a know, restaurant you there's love. a restaurant you go to. There's things you do where you know the owners too that you just don't even think about. Man, let, let me You'd tell you. You'd be surprised. The, the, the resources we had access to, the locations we had access to, right. We it's not that we took them for granted. It's just there weren't anybody in Chicago doing films right. like that. Mm-hmm. No, there was a small group of us doing that. But let me ask you, see, that's a <clears> little <throat> bit of a... Bonus that you don't get out in LA. Absolutely, absolutely. Because in LA, it don't matter who you is. That, that your best friend could own the restaurant, right. and they're gonna charge you. Oh yeah, your wife could own Handsomely, the restaurant. They'll charge you handsomely. <laughs> oh, they know the game. Yeah, exactly. you shut me down for a day. I yeah, need. Exactly. I mean, so, but I know that. Yeah. Have, you, have you outside? Have you had these places where there's not this this history of filmmaking? You can get stuff. You just got to ask. And, I, ask. and I think but, people don't think to yeah. ask. Well, but, two things. You, you got to ask, but you can't just ask. You got to be, you got to come correct. Well, let me tell you, you let know? me say, let me add to that if you don't mind. You got to come so correct. What I do when I'm making like a small project or something, <clears throat> we're making a, a, a sizzle or whatever the fuck, and we need to shoot at a restaurant or whatever the fuck, and we don't have no money, I will put together a little lookbook that'll have like, I'll go online and find like a, a, a cupcake or something that they specialize in. Mm-hmm. And I'll, when I'm pitching to them, I'll open up that page and be like, here's your, your popular, most popular cupcake you guys have. I'm a spitball, right? And there's a scene where our character does such and such. We will, we will make sure that they know that this is coming from here. They'll, they'll say it in dialogue. We'll see it over in the corner that there's a logo. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you got to sell it sell to it. them. Mm-hmm. You're giving them that and product I've placement. I've always gotten it every yeah. time. Yeah. You feel me? Yeah, I'll give you a great example of uh, one of our locations. So one of our central locations, we needed a house Mm. to shoot the bulk of the scenes. One of my producers contacted uh, an alderman, Mm. uh, and he was able to find a realtor who had a house, (laughs) had running water, electricity, heat, everything. We're like, oh, this is perfect. Furnished. And it was in my old neighborhood, which Mm. isn't the safest neighborhood to be leaving a 35-millimeter camera. You're leaving no gear. Right, no gear. So we're like, man, we can't afford it. We need to walk Somebody got to sleep here tonight. Right, so so, so what I did at the time, I I knew the neighborhood. I asked the shorties, who who runs the neighborhood? They told me the guy's name. They told me where he hangs out. There's a pool hall on 119th Street. Oh, shit. Went in there. Yeah, they go in there. And I was like, I'm looking for such and such. They're like, what you want? Record scratch. <laughs> Who? Who you looking for? I said, I'm looking for such and such. I need to talk to him. They're like, oh, what you want him for? I'm like, I'm a filmmaker. I'm shooting a film in the neighborhood. I need to talk to him about it. Hmm. And 
they send me to the back room where there's one pool table. <laughs> He's there. I mean, guns out. Nobody's front. Sure. His guns out. I'm like, man, I'm about to get lit up. Yeah. I do what I got to do. And I, 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 tell, I introduced myself to him. I said, my name is Carl. I went to Columbia College. I'm from here. I grew up in the neighborhood. I'm shooting a film. And I just want to get your permission. And he Dude, stops. I got to give you that. That's he stops smart. playing pool. That's smart. And says, what'd you say? <laughs> I said, I, my name is Carl. I'm a filmmaker. All right. He said, come on, let's go to this back. There's another back room. I said, oh, God, there's shit. another back room? Stages and shit. Stages. So, <laughs> so like it's just video games. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, I didn't know there was another room. Five deadly venoms and shit. Right. <laughs> so I go to the back back room. It's just me and him. Huh. And he said, say that one more time, man. I said, listen, bro. I'm shooting a film. I'm shooting in your neighborhood. Yeah. I can't afford security. Mm. So I need your permission to shoot our film in your neighborhood without anybody messing with it. Don't be teary eyed over this shit. Yeah. This is deep. And the I brother was it. like, man, I've been running this. Yeah, he, 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 he said he had been running the neighborhood for like eight years mm-hmm. and no one ever come to him like that. Wow. Someone's always challenging him. He's mm-hmm. always got to, you know, safeguard himself. He said, ain't nobody going to mess with you. Mm. He said, he, he gave him this guy's number. Said, if anybody gives you all any problems, hit this dude. But trust me, ain't nobody going to mess with you. And we, mm. we shot there for. Seven, eight days. Uh-huh. Left the camera, equipment the camera and, everything. and everything. Yeah. 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 Now, this is what's interesting yeah. because he's telling a story about a man who has to go into a bar and go into a pool room. Exactly. And motherfucking pool was I guns. thinking the same thing? And then in his episode of Chicago PD last week, the same thing happened. Motherfuckers pulled yeah. guns on people. Like, what are you going to do in my neighborhood? I, that's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's funny. That's I didn't think about that. That's that's true. I, and I didn't write that. That's just <laughs> no, serendipity, man. But it's wow. great that you, yeah, yeah. that you shot that episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Speaking <laughs> of which, we will let you know, listeners, uh, the uh, May 4th episode of Chicago. Was it second. last? May 2nd. May 2nd episode of mm-hmm. Chicago PD was directed by Carl. Yes. Great episode. Thank you. What great. number was that? What number was that? Uh, episode 21, the penultimate episode. Yeah, the penul- yeah, yeah. It's called Allegiance. Mm-hmm. Great episode. Mm-hmm. Currently on NBC.com. Check it out. <laughs> I got another one on there uh, called Rabbit Hole that aired January 3rd as well. Right. So, yeah, so Chicago PD is giving right. me a lot we'll of We'll get money. into that. We'll yeah, get yeah, into yeah, that. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I say all that to say, uh, we, we, we shot the film in 17 days. It was. A whirlwind, man, and you know we were, we were all still learning as we went. You know what I'm saying? But we 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 were too stupid to not do because everybody we talked to like you can't shoot a movie for thirty five in thirty five millimeter for fifty thousand bucks. Right. Yeah. We're like, watch us. Like, no, you you just wait to get some more money. Mm-hmm. Just chill out. Everybody, everybody. I mean, advisors, mm-hmm. teachers were like, just just relax. See, we're like, interesting because this is two thousand. This is this is ninety nine. Ninety nine. So it's six years after El Mariachi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who did it? And he did it for twenty five. So, but I still think people don't know enough of that story. You know, yeah, well, keeping in mind they spent another million getting it ready. I know, theatrical. but I but he did shoot it. For, yeah. He, yeah. he got in there for like seven seven G's, and, and he has a great book too, Rebel Without a Crew. That's mm-hmm. ama- another amazing, amazing book, book that people need. That mm-hmm. people, people need to I, probably don't even book. read nowadays. Mm-hmm. They just go on YouTube instead right. and, exactly. and don't, don't learn enough. Just learn some. Yeah, you're right, right. huh? Yeah, it's, hey, you want to keep a secret, put it in the book nowadays, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, but, it, but the game is there. But yeah, uh, a, lot, a lot, I mean, keeping in mind, being in Chicago where there aren't a plethora of filmmakers, the people that were doing things, working, you know, at news agencies and, and commercial agencies and commercials, they're used to having 400,000 budget right. for 30 second spots. Like, <laughs> right. Well, you do a feature film for 50,000? Like, right. this is ridiculous, yeah. you know? And we all got these quizzical looks. But once again, I surrounded myself with people that were insanely driven. And as optimistic as I was, 
And that's a, another important place. You, you want to surround yourself with people that are like, we're going to get this done no matter what. We right. got to climb a thousand foot mountain. Let's get to marching. Right. And, and, and let's, not, let's not just get to marching. We'll carry each other up over this hill. So I, I can't take all the credit for getting the film done mm-hmm. because with my brothers, my <clears throat> cast, my crew, everybody kicked ass. Right. Everybody kicked ass. And everybody stepped up because we all wanted this to be the best it could be. You know? It sounds like you really had to work out your your schedule had to be tight. You had everything to, had to be tight. I'm assuming you had a really good AD to keep you on time. Your your actors probably were well rehearsed. I'm oh, assuming you had some rehearsals. We had we had we we rehearsed for about a month and a half before really? we shot. See, that's yeah. fascinating. Yes, that's see, that's yeah. fascinating because right. that's yeah. the yeah. the process. The process. I don't think people really understand the process enough. Is that every thing you gotta do to get the day of your shooting to run smooth mm-hmm. spend the time spend the time because the and rehearsing it's so hard to do now mm-hmm. on even on <clears throat> big movies they don't have the money or the actors don't have time because they're like right. triple booked and shit like mm-hmm. that but I remember in that book Making Movies by Sidney Lumet he mm-hmm. talks about yep. Bring him in and do the and bring him in and have no one else there. Like there are people and there are producers. Get everyone yeah. the fuck out of there and you, and you guys make it happen because that's gonna save you when you're shooting. Because yeah. there's is in reality, there's no time to direct an actor when you have fifty thousand dollars or two hundred million dollars and you're burning mm-hmm. by the second <clears throat> because everyone is waiting. There's a hundred people potentially, two hundred people waiting. Right. There's no time to go, hey, man, do you, do you, so do you, do you like your lines? Do you get them, blah, blah, blah. None of that. You just got to like adjust them. Anything else is like theater. You got a <laughs> chance to work with them for a week. Because <laughs> yeah. there's yeah. not enough time. And, yeah. I, I, and, and like you said earlier about making your day, that is, the, that is the thing that will make and break you as a director. Can you make your day? Right. Yeah. yeah. So having the rehearsal, what worked in my advantage is being in Chicago, there are a lot of theater actors. Lots. Oh, fuck yeah. And Lots. those theater actors love the craft. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. rehearsal is a part of the craft. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when I first got out of film school, I took acting classes because I was intimidated by actors. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I need to, one, get over this intimidation. You two, did the same thing, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. And then to understand their process. So I started taking classes, I auditioned, mm-hmm. I fucked around and got into a play. I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean, I have no desire to act. I have That's no desire hilarious. to act. But I, see, I used to be an actor. Uh, yeah, right. hey, hey, my hand goes off to all actors <laughs> right. because their process and how they open themselves up and, and how they allow themselves to be transparent right. is not an easy task. And, and to make it look easy is what makes it so dope. That's why you have to be uninhibited. Absolutely. Uninhibited. That's the key. Well, yeah. See, to me, the thing about acting is that um, you know, there's a class I took and the, the, the thing that you, you hear about all the time is Get out of your head, get out of your head as an actor, right. get out of your head, get out of your head. And you and as someone who doesn't act, you honestly don't know really what that means. Mm-hmm. And even if you're just reading the lines yourself with the actor, you don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. But we had to get up and, you know, and I, I did this scene from Hatful of Rain. And um literally, you know, the first minute I'm still like aware of everything. But then something twist, something turned, like it was light switch. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm there. Like, I'm not even, re- when it's right. over, I'm like, oh, we're done? Because mm-hmm. it, it's such a weird experience to have if that's not what you're going for all the time as an actor. You right. know, as somebody who just kind of figure it out and, and you just kind of say, this is why they love it because see, they get that, to go there all the time. That moment you're talking about is what most actors are, are striving for. It's like crack. 
Mm-hmm. It's like that's what you're always trying it's to, to run, get to. It's like the runner's little, high. Right. It's that, that moment yeah. where you're in there and you hear a laugh. You're in there, you hear a cry. You hear, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, you're still striving for it every night, mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's what's up. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that helped tremendously. And uh, like I said, my cast was so excited, man. And, and they were all beasts because, uh, you know, I mean, I, I try to develop an eye of authenticity. And having talented mm-hmm. actors definitely helped as well. So every, and everybody was going 110 the entire time. So got the film done, won a couple of film festivals with it, got distribution for it, got a theatrical release for it, which was the best you could ask for for your first time. Can people out. see it anywhere? Where is it? Yeah, it's, it's on Stars right now. Actually. Right. It, 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 every two years, because it's still, HIV is still very prevalent in the African-American right. community, right. it's still a very relevant topic. Like right. going back to what you all mm-hmm. said earlier, when you pick, pick a subject matter right. that is that <clears throat> relevant and remains relevant, it sadly, has legs. it has legs. Yeah. yeah. So every, I mean, it, was on, it's, it's, it comes on Stars all the time. All the time. So is it on the app? Does like the stars app? Do you know? I have no idea. Uh, I tell, know it, tell everybody what it's called again. Uh, one week. One it's week. called one week. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it, like I said, it's it's has it's, it's airs on uh, usually airs around World AIDS Day and mm-hmm. various you know organizations will screen it and uh, it took on a life of its own at one point in time because uh, Delta Sigma Theta the sorority embraced HIV in the African community as their uh, their. Public service, wow. and they took the film all over the country. Okay, and they sometimes they fly us out to speak about yeah. it, and we talk about the filmmaking aspect mm-hmm. as well as the HIV aspect. So it was like a one-two punch. So it was pretty cool. And then, and then we used that film while after we shot it, we moved out here, okay. and that's when we realized, okay. So so let's talk about. Let's get you know how okay. we like to do. Uh, yeah, let's about get how in. Let's get in. <laughs> the wall. Let's it's get like in. this, man. So I spent. Six, seven years getting my 10,000 hours together in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Then I got out here and said, I've studied the wrong fucking 10,000 hours. Let's in tell fact, the kids what you the, talking these about. These 10,000 hours are probably bumped down to maybe 1,800. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I, I know how to tell a story. I understand screenplays. I understand, I understand story structure and so forth. But the business of the business, right. the language of the business, mm-hmm. was the politics of the business was a foreign concept for me. Right. You know, when I did my first film one week, there were no <laughs> politics on set. Everybody wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. Everybody was happy to be there. Right. And even though we really couldn't afford to pay people what they were worth, they believed in the project so much that that kind of nullified all that. Right. Then you get out here and say, oh, wow, this is, this is the industry. <laughs> this is the industry. You know? And it's not in a book. You know? yeah, nope. that, it's not in the book. No, they, they try to say it's in the book. It's not in the book. That is the most disingenuous thing about any film school Outside of maybe UCLA and USC, USC and AFI and and, and AFI because they're here yeah. and the people who teach are people who are, are are working. I don't care how good the professor is at anywhere else, at any place. If you haven't worked in the industry, you don't know. It's the stuff between the cracks, the politics. The, it's like like everything outside of movie making is what happens here. Yeah. Literally. I mean, I remember one time I was working with my guy who's a good friend of mine, his first AD, and he told me something that, this is like 10 years ago, and it resonates. I'm going to see if it resonates with you. He's told me one time, he said, nobody on a movie cares if it gets finished, done, whatever, except for the DP and the first AD. Hmm. Because, and I was like, what do you mean by that? He was like, everyone else can fucking work again if the movie crashes. Ah, damn. 
Interesting. Like everyone can. The f- makeup person can still use the real. That's a really good way to fucking, look at it. You know, if yeah. it's a great work where the movie crashes. Wait, just the DP and AD, not the no, director. No, 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 no. The director and the AD okay. are the only ones who really oh, care about it because okay. it's, it's like you know because because the because the, the AD's job is to make sure that you get what you need to make the movie right. Work. Right. But everyone else can like because it could all be his fault to some extent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? Don't they care? He was like, he was like, think about it. And this is a guy who's worked on so many fucking shows, mm-hmm. and and he's been in the fucking DGA for like 30 years all this kind of shit and he was like they don't care they want the money and if the movie doesn't work because we all seen movies that sit great projects all these people in them don't come out why? Paycheck Mm. you know not because they really were there for the craft and I was like and then like a couple other projects I worked on after that and I was like you're right the actors just want to do it, but if it doesn't work for them, they can still get a good piece of reel. Even the story doesn't work, you know. And if it's not like, you know, and I was like, that's so fucking tragic that that's. But really see, that what that coincides is. with with sometimes people have you talk about the deal. Sometimes an actor, as an example, might have a deal with said studio or network. So they're like, we need to get him out of this contract. Let's just go ahead and shoot that pilot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. For two million or whatever, just knock it out. We're not even going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but they spend all that time doing it just to get rid of the contract. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how yeah. they do stuff like that. Well, like I said, the, the intertwining of the business right. and the craft is very interesting because, like you said, people don't have to be there. <clears throat> They're there for a check. Right. And uh, so the emotional investment varies. Which makes it interesting for you as a filmmaker who cares about the material right. and how, you know, because I've, I've experienced this firsthand making a film. I never thought I would be directing a film that I hated. Damn. <laughs> I never thought I'd experience that Damn. until I experienced it. And I said, huh. wow, wow. And it, it really, it can really mess you up if huh. you aren't, it, it, it can really, it can, it can stagnate you, it can stop you, it can shut you down, and it can push you out of the industry if, if you allow it to. Can we I talk mean, about that absolutely. as an example? Like, absolutely. Give, it, give us some little more backstory. On so there, I did a film back in 2007 mm-hmm. uh, called Of Boys and Men. Oh, mm-hmm. I was going to ask mm-hmm. you about this. Yeah. And uh, I had issues with the script anyway, but I, I take ownership for my involvement because I can't, no one forced me to do this. Okay. I was coming out, I was, I was, it, was a, it was a decision made out of desperation. <laughs> we said, all have I them. said, okay, <laughs> y'all going to pay me how much? Right. What's two months worth of work? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'll do that. For that check, right. I'll give this two months. Mm-hmm. But that two months worth of work led to three years of depression. Mm. Where I didn't do anything. Really? Nothing. Okay, like, we, I didn't even watch TV. Like we, I wasn't watching movies. I wasn't watching TV shows. I was done. <laughs> because there's nothing worse than making a movie that you know isn't going to be good. Then when you see the final edit, you're like, oh, wow. My name is attached to this piece of shit. <laughs> and I know I'm a much better filmmaker than that. Right. I know I am. But... All they're seeing is, well, this is your movie. And, you know, most people are like, how did you make something trash? I said, listen, man, there's so many different moving parts in a film that if, you, if it ends up being trash, it's not always on the director. That's true. You know, especially if you don't have final cut right. or final but, set. But you'll be blamed. <clears throat> you will be blamed. 100%. And you will be vilified. And you'll be looked at as a shitty filmmaker. <laughs> and if you care about filmmaking, that is one of the, that is a devastating blow. Right. Uh, and like I said, I mean, I've never been rocked like that before. Mm. And I, I got speak rocked. To that. I can speak to that yeah. because when you do something that you see, you know, people always say you do it because you love it. And you do do it because you love it. And you take the money because a lot of it is like the downtime between projects and you got to, and you know, and like, you know, like nine out of ten projects don't go that you're prepping. Right. So you need this stuff to kind of like, so, so you're not starving between right. shit. Yeah. 
But when you go and do a project that you don't, that there's elements out of your control that you get sabotaged on. See, in your first project, it was you. And everyone was inspired to do it because they wanted to do it. But the second project, and that's not the case, it's like you're not prepared for that when you go in. And then by the time that you're aware that that's what's happening, you're in, it's you're in too, too late. It's too late. Exactly. You're, you're in too know, late. You're in too deep. I'm like, yeah, oh, shit. Know, I've jumped out the plane with no parachute. Yeah. Oh, right. fuck. Right. And, I'm, and my dumb ass was thinking, like, I got to finish it through. I can't be a quitter. Right. You know, I, gotta, I, I signed up. Let me finish this through. In retrospect, I'd have run from that joint. Like mm. I'm out. But see, that's maturity to me. What do you mean? Maturity tells you later on, this is what I would have done now. now. Yeah. But at the time, yeah. you, you, Chris and I talk about this all the time. You have to go through hardships. You oh, have absolutely. to. It, it, that's it, how you it learn. It definitely made me a better filmmaker. Right. It, it, because it strengthened my cinematic voice. Right. You also had the two months of experience. Yeah. Two months of experience, which was, which was great. And and I worked with some some. Very great actors. That, that was a bright spot. Mm-hmm. Robert Townsend was in it, wasn't he? Townsend was in it, and Angela Bassett. And it was a, she was a pleasure. She was one of the bright spots of the whole experience. Okay. You know, without her, I might have slit my throat. You know, <laughs> as well as Victoria Rowell, she was in it as well. She was great. Yeah. And uh, but uh, you, like I said, it, it, several things. You, 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 your cinematic language gets stronger. Mm-hmm. Your muscle gets stronger. But more importantly, you really figure out what your voice is, and and the, the type of stories you want to tell, and your perspective. All that gets honed. In doing that, right. but it was quite a price to pay. <laughs> it's quite a price to pay. Because yeah. well, you, you, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting when you, you know, so many filmmakers um, that we all love. They have something like that on their resume, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's interesting to see what they're like, how they're able to survive. I mean, as much as everyone loves David Fincher. I think they forget he did Alien Three. Yeah, and, then, <laughs> right. and, and you know what he and he dis and he dis he disowns the movie mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. If you go back right. and look at like yeah. the the all the behind the scenes stuff, and there's so much so much behind the scenes on that one Alien film. I think more than than all of the other ones, and it's just like you know, I'm not. I mean, it, four years later, he didn't get a chance. I mean, he didn't do the film for four years or longer, five years. Yeah. He went and uh, he's thankful he had this massive, sweet career music videos and stuff like that. But he was able to turn it around, came back with seven, mm-hmm. and just kicked everyone's fucking ass yeah. for telling mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. A really interesting story I read the other, I heard the other day with Guillermo del Toro was the same thing when he yep. when he didn't mimic, yep. Mm-hmm. mimic, yep. He got into this fight with Harvey Weinstein and mm-hmm. and and trying to sabotage him and all this shit. And you know, basically, uh, he said. He said the same thing you said. He almost killed himself after the movie because it, it was such a bad experience. I mean, he even called in Robert Rodriguez to shoot second unit because he was like, they're making me shoot second unit and I need someone who I can trust mm. and I need you to come in. And then also, and Robert was like, yeah, but I think you only use like 40% of my stuff. And he's <laughs> like, yeah, but not, not because of that. It's because like he got some support from Mira Sorvino later on and they were to reshoot some stuff. But he didn't work for a long time after that. Right. Really, really Director's jail is real. Yeah. And, Director's and, jail is real. And, and, <laughs> it's real. And, and he tells a story about how the wildest shit was happening to him. This is, And this could be a movie. Um, his dad is kidnapped in Mexico. Hmm. And then he's like, gets a pr- and he's trying to figure this out and he gets approached by Pedro Amodovar. Hmm. Who sees him and he's like, "I want to do your next movie," and he's like, 
but my dad has been kidnapped. And I don't know what the <laughs> fuck to do. And, 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 and I mean, and you're, I'm Mexican, you're Spanish, and I mean, we can make this work, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets a call because Pedro is interested. Nuan's like, we want you to do Blade 2. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and then he's like, okay, so now do I go back into Hollywood, into the lion's den? Mm-hmm. Or do I do the Pedro film in Spain and really get my voice back right. and define my voice? And he was like, new line, if you want me, you fucking wait. <laughs> and he went and did The Devil's Backbone, yeah. which is a great fucking movie. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it might be his, it's top three, I think, of his work. Yes. And then with that resurgence, that sense of he's there in Spain with Spanish people and, and Pedro's like making him food and shit like that, like, <laughs> which would be awesome. And then he comes back to do new line thinking at, with, with Blade 2, and he's got this whole other sense of like, I can tell you what to do now. Mm. I am really a filmmaker. It's all I, a sense of self. Yeah. Because he also said uh, he didn't want to look at Blade One, and he didn't want to have he didn't want to be beholden to the visual landscape of Blade One. That's which a trip. Is really dope too. That's you know? a trip. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny, man. Jonathan Demme <laughs> went through the same thing with Swing Shift back in the day. So when you research your filmmaker, the film your favorites. They've all done something. They've all experienced something like that. It's a great book on Jonathan Demme, Interviews with Jonathan Demme. He, he talks about it. And it's funny because these interviews are all over the span of time. And right when Swing Shift's coming out, you, you, he's being interviewed. He's being very classy about it. He took the high road. Mm-hmm. But later on in the years, he, he just, as information was revealed about how the, the studio took the film and Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell totally remade it from <laughs> an empowering woman's film to right. a love story between these two. Right. He's like, that's not what we were trying to make. Hmm. And it, it just became evident, like, wow. How do you, and they, they were asking, how do you feel about it? Like, well, I did the best I could. I felt that the story we told was a great story, mm-hmm. but it, everything changed. And mm-hmm. I didn't have control over it. And, I mean, he talks about, you know, its impact on him. So, like I said... Man, as a filmmaker, you got to be passionate because this shit takes a lot of time, right. a lot of energy, a lot of effort, and a whole lot of sacrifice. So if you did not care, then what the fuck are you doing? You know what I'm saying? So of course, when things go awry like that, it's going to affect you one way or another. You know, and, and which is why you have to kind of surround yourself with people that are, are that believe in you, right. not what you're working on. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, like, yeah. And I, I've learned out here when people ask me what I'm working on, okay, constituent. Mm. People ask me how I'm doing, right? That's fam, right. you know? And you, you keep your circle small anyway, right. you know, because folks out here are always like, what can this person do for me? Oh, you doing always. that? Hmm. Always. What can you do for me? And, and now with this social media mm-hmm. era, I get folks hitting me. My DMs are so crazy. I, I don't get, like, I don't get the hot DMs. I get filmmakers <laughs> ask me dumbass question DMs. Like, how do I register a script? Come on. I'm man. like, no, man, if you want to be taken seriously, don't, don't ask, ask me a question, question you can ask a, that can be answered on Google. Right. And they get offended. I do the same shit. Motherfucker curse me out. Because I said, I just gave you some game. You gave him On some top game. of some game. Right. And you offended? I said, right. all right. All right. But that's, I mean, it's, that's what's crazy about it, man. But like I said, I let my passion fuel me. And like I said, at one point in time, that fire <laughs> got doused and I had to retreat. Like, totally walk away. Like, mm. And it's funny, because it was during the recession where I was like, if I can find another career, I'm out. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> I'm out. I was like, real estate? Nope, that ain't going to work. Really? I was trying to find something. If I had anybody say, yo, man, you want to get into this? Sure. Gone. See, that recession is what made me go, I need to not just be a writer. Mm-hmm. I need to focus on something else. And I had written this pilot that had this little sequence with two people stuck on a train. And I was 
picking in during the at Paramount with one of my friends who just read it. And he's like, dude, that scene would be an interesting short or interesting play or something. And I was like, how would I do that? And I was like, I know everybody. Duh, I could put together a team. And I just started thinking about it. You know, Nate, oh, I was like, dope. how am I going to get a train? And I was like, shit, the, the, um, the location manager's expo is next week. What? Oh, I'll just go there and see if I can find somebody with a train. You know what I mean? And I just started putting the team together. Next thing I know, three months later, we were shooting the goddamn thing. Six months later, it was critically acclaimed. So you never know what the fuck yeah. you're going to do. Yeah, that's you know dope. what I mean? And, and it still isn't the film that I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. I, had, I was telling Chris... Kareem, um, who starred in it, ended up booking a commercial the day we were shooting. So, mm. of course, I'm paying him $100 a day, SAG. Which one is he going to take? Yeah. So he took that other job, of course, and came late. So I was trying to shoot the other guys, all his angles and shit, and wasn't able to do half the shit I did. When I look at it now, I'm going, man, I missed all kind of shots I planned, but it didn't kill the movie. Yeah. Sometimes you're in your head about right. what you think you need to do. The, move, the story's still there. The story's still there. The you intention know what I mean? is still there. Yeah. 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 That's important. Right. That's important. Well, that's the thing mm. about making your day. To me, ultimately, making the day is, do you have enough footage to tell the story? Right. You know, uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, some Lars Ron Trier type of mm-hmm. crazy shit. You want that, right. but you may not get that. <laughs> but as long as you can tell the story, then it'll, and it holds up. It will, and, and, and because I think a lot of times, you know, like filmmakers watch shit and their eye starts breaking down how you right. do this a little differently. Right. And then you say to yourself, but the audience just needs to experience the story. story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they experience the story, they'll fucking talk about it. You know, I was telling, I was telling this to Polari the other day because I was on her podcast, mm-hmm. right? And I was watching Empire Strikes Back, and I just watched J.J.'s um, Star Trek the, mm-hmm. the day before. And uh, <clears throat> I'm watching Empire, and I'm like, this is such a master, master class movie because he doesn't move the camera that much. He does something that, that most people have a hard time doing today mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. But he finds the angle that just tells everything. Where, That's where, really hard. You know, yeah, there's, a, yeah. there's a scene where early on in the movie where the Empire is coming into the base and they're, they're in the control room. And it's like the Empire's in a beta base, the Empire's in a beta base. And it cuts off. And there's a shot where... Han is like dragging like Leia through this corridor, right? And it's not some ragged handheld shot or anything like that. It's a shot that's set up that allows them to run from from one end of the frame to the other end of the frame. And right when they get there, the ceiling falls on top of them, all in one shot. Mm. And then then it cuts around. I'm like, that's masterful. Hmm. Because today, I know motherfuckers will do this where it's all behind them in this right, damn right. Just shaky shit and then in front of their face showing their fear. And mm-hmm. it's like, don't need that. Hmm. Do you know how to just tell it in a single shot? And can you? Right. Do you have the skills to even be that and the and the boldness today to shoot that way? That would be bold today because the attention span is so short now. I remember in the 90s, everybody was complaining about the attention spans being shortened because of music videos. Mm-hmm. Not, didn't see Instagram and Vines and right. Snapchats coming. Right. Like, so now you got, especially like with Netflix, with Netflix now, you have about three, four minutes to hook a viewer. Mm. So that that trope back in the day of the inciting incident on page twelve, that's out no, the window. It's been gone. You gotta lock these motherfuckers in two, three minutes in. I was telling you, you gotta done. you gotta have for the that. series. You yeah. gotta have yeah. that yeah. Early. yeah, yeah. You gotta know what it's about. What it's about. Page two. Why am I giving a fuck? <laughs> right. Why am I watching this? Okay. Right. Oh, I didn't see that coming. 
I right. watched a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, you yes. need that. You totally. Yeah, you got to have curiosity. Totally no, throughout the whole damn thing. Yeah. So let me ask you a quick question. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you had that incident. So three years went by. Yes. So how did you pick yourself up, and what did you do? Two things, man. So uh, I got a letter from the DGA because mm-hmm. that film got me in the DGA. I was going to ask you what got you. That's in. what got okay, me in the cool. DGA. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Because I'm like, wow, this is ridiculous. Because if I was a producer on a low budget film, I would never go to DGA. <laughs> but okay, fuck it. Got in there. After the experience, I wasn't even involved with it like that. And I got a letter, and they were like, listen, you haven't been paying your dues. We're about to cancel your <laughs> membership. Yeah. If we don't hear from you, we'll just assume that you don't want it, blah, blah, blah. So I had this letter. I'm looking at him like, and being in the DJ was always a dream of mine, yeah. right? So I was like, wow. And I looked at that letter. It was more than just that letter. It was like, okay, am I walking away, or am I going to pick it back up and fight? Right. And it was ju- just based on that little DJ letter. That it was two paragraphs, and I said, you know what? I'm not ready to, 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 I'm not ready to give up yet. So I, put, so I started writing again. And I said, okay, I wrote this short film. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't, know, I don't know when I'm going to shoot it or how I'm going to shoot it, but I'm going to shoot it. And on, on my birthday that year, my brother sent me 200 bucks. Hmm. And I was like, I can go shopping, buy some stuff, get something to eat or whatever. I mm-hmm. said, I'm going to shoot a film with this $200. With $200. And that was a movie I shot for $200, Kareem. And it, I won a couple of festival awards with mm-hmm. it. I got a, lo, a global distribution deal for it because mm-hmm. they're like, you know, it's no dialogue. We can take this all over. So. Mm-hmm. And I still get a check for it every six months. <laughs> yeah, and I, that was 2000. It came out. I did the festival tour around 2011, 2012. It started being distributed right 2000, late 2012. So yeah, it was a, and and it goes back to okay. But see, that tells you you can make money on the short. You can make money. You oh, absolutely, right. absolutely, right. absolutely. Well, yeah, I think people nowadays. I didn't know though. I didn't yeah. know back then. I was yeah. like, really? I think people don't realize that um, our industry. I'm sorry, our market, the United States, doesn't necessarily pay. Right, but the but but the global market, oh, the global market, yeah. Forget about the states. You know, like, like that, for sure. that's for a lot of television as well. Mm-hmm. The real money isn't even in the states. You know, it's Prague, right? Russia, China. China. <laughs> right. That's where the big money is for mm-hmm. these, some of these shows. Like like I did a show, the originals, which will be coming on in uh, three weeks, June May thirtieth. My episode of the originals, mm-hmm. and it's huge overseas. Huge, like they're like on some Beatles level out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow, because the cast is telling me, like, "Oh yeah, we go out overseas to do promos." It's it's another level. I'm like, "Wow, that's check that out." And you forget because you're here. Like you look at like ratings or whatever. Like, mm, but then you realize it's so much of a larger picture than just what's being put out on on deadline in terms of you know right. ratings or whatever. So, yeah. Well, I want I want to get into your um, <clears throat> your directing for television stuff like that, like. The steps and the first time you did it, and you know um, um, the meetings and leading up to it, and even even trying to get the interview because Chris is at that point where he's starting to try to do that. So I want to just okay. find out, like, all right. So I took a job in 2005 as a director's assistant on a TV show called What About Brian, okay. an ABC show mm-hmm. for Disney. And was it a single camera? Was that single, single camera? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was a drama, uh, and <clears throat> the director's name was Dan Lerner. Great guy. Oh yeah, great guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm constantly finding myself aligning myself with people that are extremely talented, but are humble about it. Right. I love that. That's the key. I love that. I'm, and, and I always remind myself of that. Like, you know, you can be dope, but you can still be humble, too. You don't have to be an asshole about it. Can I ask you a question? What's up? I'm just going to say it. He's a white dude, isn't he? He's a white guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Chris and I talk about this all the time. Oh, that's a whole other conversation. It's unfortunate. That's a whole other conversation. They always want to help us, ain't it? Conversation. Yeah. It's a whole well, I, I, I guess they don't see. I don't, I I don't know why. I don't want to say that, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is, man. Well, especially some of the older guard. Right. Man. 
Now, there, there are some brothers. I, I, I have to salute Eric LaSalle, okay, who's yeah. the producing director on mm-hmm. Chicago PD right mm-hmm. now. That brother took me under his wing, man, yeah. and has, has, has mentored me and has elevated me and lifted me and then allowed me to execute my vision. You know, So there are some brothers out here that will definitely, you know, but I, I think a lot of, a lot of us kind of have to sit back and make sure you deserve it. Right. Yeah. You, you can get burned. I've gotten right. burned out here. Right. I've gotten burned helping somebody, extending myself for them, and like to the point, like, Man, what the fuck are you doing? Oh, right. you let's not I'm talk about who. I, yeah, let's not talk about who I. <laughs> like, we not even got I recommended someone hey. to him, and you know, hey. I helped that. Burned. I helped that same person. I got so burned. Right. Right. Word? You know, right. Now, now, when the, after you got after you all both got burned, did you I still all, got burn marks on my hands. Well, and shit. Did you check that end, person though? No, because why not? Disappear. Disappeared. Won't. I mean, like, I couldn't. I, I mean, if I saw the person again, I uh, would. But I haven't seen the person again. Oh, you haven't had any contact with them. Oh, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. They right. they just had a, they had a screening and didn't even invite didn't that invite one. Me. I at least got invited. They didn't even invite that one. Oh, wow. So, hey. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sat hey. me down for, like, two hours. Saw my movie. was like, how'd you do it? I was like, what do you mean? Fucking make a movie, you make a movie. It's, it's simple to me. Because I've, it's been in my head for 20 years about how to make a movie. I got to tell you, like, like, if I went to you, it's like the guy asking you, like, how do you, you know, um, register a script? Mm-hmm. That's like, what are you talking about? It's, yeah. it's easy if you're in it. But I understood this, this person wasn't in it. And I spent, like, two hours, like, explaining, like, how you can do the whole thing. Like, how does it all work? Like, how this person who's coming from a writing background... Um, and had no experience filmmaking or anything like that. And it was, and I, it's, sometimes it's weird to me that f- being the director was daunting to people because I've, I've, I've done it for so long and I've wanted to do it for a really long time. It's just, it seems so like, oh, that's old hat for me. Um, there's in my mental space, you know, and, um, this person, you know, and then was constantly calling me doing prep you know, that he was producing and asking me questions about shit. And I was like, oh, this, hey, what about, you try this or this, blah, blah, blah. And then nothing. Didn't get invited to the set. Didn't get invited to, you know. To, to, I have about 10 of these people. You know, to the editing room. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. To, 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 <clears throat> and after that, I was like, let me dial back how generous I am. Yeah. I have to see what you're about. I yeah. really got to see what and you're about. And that's tough, man. That's tough. Because you, you want to help you people. You want to. You want exactly. to be forthgoing because... I just remember when I wanted game, and I'm like, let me take it. I'll feed you. I don't want a job. I don't want money. I just want game. Just right. give me some insight mm-hmm. so that I can strategically move because I'm, I'm, I'm always strategizing. Right. And yeah, it's just disheartening when you run across folks that just don't really maximize <clears throat> opportunities laid out before. Yeah. I'm yeah. Just, just like, how do you, essentially... How do you step on slash betray the people who are trying to help you? Because the thing is, I don't have to help you. No one has yeah. to help you. And, and particularly in this business, because most motherfuckers don't help don't you. Help you right? So if someone is, is saying, I will help you, I don't even think that people, that they understand how rare that is. I don't think, you, I don't think you're, I don't want to say you're not looking at it right, but this is how I take the pressure off of myself. I help you because I want it to. If you choose to move on, but see, that's the problem is in this industry, if you have a hot commodity that got you in such and such a festival that everybody wanted to be in, everybody's going to be like, shit, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. you need something? Yeah. And so if somebody is in a higher position than you, 
can help you, they're going to jump. To me, it's your duty to jump. The problem is everybody, Chris, doesn't think the way that we do. They don't have common courtesy. They don't because people are thinking they're just moving on to the next thing. They forgot how they got. Well, there's a level of, you know what I mean? Well, two things, especially in L.A., there's a level of entitlement. And I call them my I call, favorite word. I call them sun gods. Sun they feel like gods. everybody revolves around them. <laughs> right. So you got the sun gods with a taker's mentality. Right. They just keep taking and taking and taking, right. and don't realize, you know, you do have to give, and it has to be forthcoming. You have to show and prove that you're worthy of this. And some folks just assume you're just supposed to lay over backwards and give them whatever they want because just because, because they think they're special. Some people get anointed. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know what I mean. Some people do get anointed. Some people get anointed. Some people do get anointed, and they not don't necessarily deserve it, but oh, they absolutely. get anointed. Oh, yeah. and they believe oh, yeah. it. We all have some stories about. And unfortunately, this person we're talking about is kind of getting anointed right now. Oh, wow. and, and, okay. And it's just hey, wow. It is what it is. But trip. So I don't want to take the focus on all that because I want to. I want to make sure we get some of this game yes, in there. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so what was it that finally got you able to start directing for t- so you you did you you shadowed somebody? I I, I worked as his assistant. Assistant, okay. Uh for a season. Mm. All right. And it's funny. Oh, the whole I, season. The whole season. Oh, that's yeah, so so and but but to to add a little bit more to that, right. he saw I, I gave him a copy of my first film. I said, watch it whenever you can. Mm-hmm. He watched it maybe two or three weeks into me working with him. Okay. And he said, Man, you should be directing. Hmm. He said this, you should definitely be directing. <clears throat> he said, so use this time to learn as much as you can in the office, right. on set, and so forth. So it was a, the best crash course in television filmmaking. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better situation. Right. The crew was cool. The cast was cool. Everybody was, it was great. And I, I learned so much more there than I did on fi- in film school. And <laughs> also realized, I said, wow, the speed in which they move, right. the way they play. I said, this is all I know. Right. You know what I'm saying? I know this language. And it's funny. Because you have to do it in an independent you world. You have to do it in an independent world. Right. You don't, there's no safety right. net. Right. There's like, we'll never be in this location ever again. Right. So you got to get what you got to get right now because you'll never, <laughs> ever be in here again. Exactly. So, uh, and I was, they would say, we're going to give you an episode for season two. I'm like, cool. But come season two, everybody got fired. Mm. They brought in a whole new camp. So my opportunity was gone. So I said, okay, I just, this, if it happened this time, it'll happen again. Right. Fast forward. Yeah, how many years? 11 years that? later. Damn. It, so... I applied to these programs annually, mm-hmm. got my annual rejection letters, annually, mm-hmm. like, wow. And the minute I said, you know what, I'm not going to get into television through the program. Hmm. Not for me. Right. It works for some folks. And I implore everybody to apply to these programs right. because you still get gain from these programs mm-hmm. and you get access to people. Access, that's the key. And, and that's the key. Right. You want to get this access to people so they can see who you are and how you get down. But I, once I made a personal choice, I said, okay, this annual, these annual letters of rejection aren't really doing anything for me in any way, shape, or right. form. I said, let me just reset. Let me re-strategize. It's, you know what that's called? It's called a pivot. It's a, a pivot. It's a pivot. Okay, that's a pivot. Oh, you yeah. Got, sometimes you, you got to pivot. pivot. You got to pivot. You feel me? You got to yes. pivot. So uh, I met through, so I won the ABFF Film Festival back when it was in Acapulco with my mm-hmm. film One Week. Right. And at that film festival, I, I was able to meet luminaries like John Singleton, mm-hmm. Bill Duke, the Hutland brothers, right. you know, all these guys. So I always stayed in contact with these guys as well. I, I wasn't on them, hounding them, mm-hmm. but I just keep them aware of what I'm doing. Right. Here's where I'm at, blah, blah, blah. I knew John was doing several shows a couple of years in 2016. So mm-hmm. I reached out to him and said, John, I know you're doing several shows. I want in. Here's what I've been doing. I just, I just completed a film, a film for TV One called Bad Dad Rehab mm-hmm. that, was, that was received very well. stars Malik Yoba. Right. Great bunch of actors in there as well. Wesley Johnson, Rick Gonzalez, Rob Riley, and uh, 
Did you get like Robert a Shaw. So now did you get like a NAACP? I got nominated for that. Yeah, yeah nominated for that. Yeah. So that nomination came while I was shooting Rebel. Okay. So I reached out to John. Mm-hmm. I said, I want in on your TV show. Any of any of them. I'll mm-hmm. take whatever you give me. I will, I'm down. That's I, what you I, gotta I be willing to do. I, I said can't be like, I want that no, one. No, no, no. Right. Whatever show you think I can do, give right. it to me. Right. And so he said, okay, you he sent me in to go meet with the company Mar Vista, who's mm-hmm. producing it. I met with those guys and being in the DGA and attending various seminars and workshops mm-hmm. and panels, I've learned the language to right. speak in the room that lets them know, oh, this guy understands budget, right. time, efficiency. He's sane. He knows how to talk to people. He knows how to communicate well mm-hmm. and tell a story. Right. That's how I booked the job. So I had to do two episodes in 13 days. Ooh. Now, most folks say that. They, woo, really? That's all I know. That's like 13 days? Wait, <laughs> oh, yeah, I got plenty of time. <laughs> wait, I got two cameras? Oh, get out of here. Get me? What? Let's do it. So... Did both episodes in those 13 days. Mm-hmm. They both turned out well. And I was off to the races after that. You know, that led to, you know, me booking the originals, Chicago PD. What about, oh, also, what about, wait, what about with um, representation? Is that when you finally got it or did oh, you have I'm, one? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm leapfrogging here. It's so okay. I did Bad Dad Rehab. And my whole, my whole, my own, my major purpose for doing Bad Dad Rehab was to get representation. Okay. And not just representation, but representation that had specific access to episodic television. Oh, okay. Sat with my agent. I said, here's what I want to do. These are the type of shows I want to target. Hmm. I said, I want to be, I want to get into the Dick Wolf camp because I love these Dick Wolf film shows. Right, right. PD, Fire, May, I, 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 you know, I always watch them here because they remind me of Chicago. I can see the cold in the snow, <laughs> but I have to feel the cold in the snow. Plus, I love, the, I love the narrative. I love the episodes. I love the execution. So my target was that. So I, I went in and met with those guys. And this is before I booked Rebel. Uh, I met with the producing director of Chicago PD because hmm. uh, I, I was in Chicago for my mom's birthday. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, I'm doing an episode in two weeks. You want to come, come back out here in Shadow? Mm. And I said, I'll be back. Okay. Flew myself back out. Right. Stayed in my mom's house. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Y'all hear that game? Flew your what? Flew myself back out. Right. You know? Right. And stayed in my How mom's house. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? <laughs> How bad do you want it? I said, right. And not only did I just do that. But I was an active shadow. Right. You know what I'm saying? I had shot listed the entire episode. Really? You know? Oh, yeah. And I was look at my shot list, and the director I was working with, who's a, he's a, his name is Mark Tinker. Mm-hmm. He's been around since White Shadows. Amazing director. This guy, he does it all in his head. Really? I said, I'm not there. <laughs> I don't know if I can memorize this. I'm like, how do you? He said, wow, this is cool. Because I, I, what I did was I gave him my shot list. Mm. I said, just to show you how I prepare, here's my shot list. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Just... Just giving it to you just to give it to you because this, this is what I've been doing. doing while we're in prep, we're going to locations and casting and everything like that. I'm also shot listing as well. So I was an active shadow. That's smart. And I'm on set. I'm there early. I'm, okay. I'm quiet. You hear that? Because that's you the thing. That game? Yeah. You, it's people, some people think when they shadow that one, they think shadowing is beneath them. Right. Right. I'm like, okay, I've done two features. I'm in a DJ. Right. Like shadowing is beneath me. I'm like, if you go in there with that attitude, they'll suss that out. Look, Academy Award-winning directors Shadow Paris. So yeah, that's some bullshit. That's some bullshit. See, because the, <laughs> okay. the, the thing yeah. I think I think people don't get is that when to shadow is this, you might have done some independent films, mm-hmm. but you're jumping into the television industry, it's and, a whole and, and it's, there's 
It's a whole there's millions point. of there's there's seventy eighty million dollars at stake just right. in the production budget. There's that marketing money. Mm-hmm. There's nine entities that are, that, that are involved in this shit. Mm-hmm. That that and 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 they all gotta feel comfortable with you. Yes, it's right. not just the guy who's letting you shadow. Right. No, it's no, no. you know showrunner, the right. person whose episode it is, the pod people, the network people, <laughs> the studio people. Right. It, it, like what the and it's, and it's people who you don't even know have to, are aware of what the fuck you're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you fuck up. It all it all boils down to one word, man. <clears throat> trust. Mm. You need the executives to trust you. You need the network to trust you. The studio to trust you. The crew to trust you. Mm-hmm. The cast to trust you. Every it's all fueled by trust. Mm. And if they can trust you, that that's when you can elevate and really get. You know, you can really push the envelope and do some things they don't normally do, but they're willing to try it because they trust you. Right. You know, and. and Obtaining that trust, it, you, you show them how you prepare, your passion. That, that's when you give them your passion. Like, right. I'm, I'm excited to be there. Yeah, I'm an hour early because right. I couldn't sleep last night. I couldn't <laughs> wait to get here. Right. So why would I just be fucking around at home when right. I could be here an hour early just walking around making sure, okay, we're going to do this and this and this and this and this. Oh, yeah. Right. That's the you know? thing. Yeah. That's the thing about directing. When you get it's, – it, there's, there's this like shot in the arm it gives you. And to me, I love to go to the set Early, mm-hmm. I love to see the grips and everyone setting up because when I start seeing the equipment and everything, my mind starts thinking about what can we do differently. He, he becomes kind of giddy on this. That is funny. Yeah. He's just it's like, like yeah, oh, yeah. what else can we do? Like, what else yeah. can we? It's exciting, because man. Right. A, because the one thing is, yes, you got a fucking shot list of shit out of the thing, mm-hmm. but the beauty of it is when you're there that you couldn't that that you might not have seen something when you were scouting. And you're like, oh, fuck, what if we put the camera here or we could block it here differently? And that's the kind of shit that if you, that, that you, that you can run by people when they're in makeup. And they're like, well, 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 and if there's any kind of reasons, you're like, that's cool. We don't need to do it because we, because we, I've already got a plan for plan A, but here's plan B. And if they might say, oh, that's interesting. Let's try that. And there's a great point you said about, about getting the cast trust. Because the one thing that I've, you learn from all the different jobs that I had. Like I was working at this completion bond company one time, and we were doing this movie for um, uh, with big actors, the fuck Jake Gyllenhaal and Natalie Portman. And I was like, how the fuck did they get this movie done? And uh, the and and the the guy was the the my boss was saying they trust the director, and and that's how like first time filmmakers get. Big actors in their first time right. film. Yeah. The script's good, but it's not just the script because right. they because they got to sit down and feel like, do I trust you to? Right. to I usually take them to a to night dinner me. or lunch or protect something me and talk to them for hours yeah. to get that trust. Yeah. Protect my performance and right. protect this narrative. Like, yeah. like the brother that did La La Land and Whiplash. Right. I mean, Whiplash. That was the first film I watched. It ended and I had to watch it again, like yeah. instantly. Instantly. Whiplash, mm-hmm. man. It, yeah, Whiplash is okay. That's that yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, Damien. Yeah, I mean, I, that's why I, I, you know, like, this is you bring up La La Land because I think that movie got maligned in a way that was kind of unnecessary. Oh my I, God. I, I think it. That's a whole other conversation. I, I, it, the, right. the movie's definitely like a bauble in a sense, but it's masterclass filmmaking. Masterclass filmmaking. Oh, yeah. It just really is. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, I was like, fuck this guy. You know, it's, there's there's great filmmaking in Whiplash by far, mm-hmm. but then you always say, but to me, I'm always like, well, people could get lucky on that second film right. with some money, mm-hmm. but he really like really showed he has like these when, jobs. When I found out he wasn't shooting these on sets, 
Dude, like, the fucking opening scene, on the that opening shot on the, on the 105. I was like, oh, hold on. How the hell you do this, man? <laughs> like, the no, 105? Yeah. Uh, Mulholland Drive team. At, at, at dawn uh, man. Yeah. Production No one does that shit but, but the thing is is I mean, People in LA know You can't shut those freeways mm. down You can't shut them down Oh they what? still were moving In the background I know the background. I know, I know. Exactly. But they got like a lane I was like I was like that But they do the dance number On a freeway right. And I was like that And it's a seamless shot I was like this motherfucker Is on another level They planned it somewhere else Six hours Six hours to do all this They planned it somewhere else Rehearsed the fuck out of that shit Rehearsed the fuck out of it With probably like like I mean four guys On steady cam You gotta write Oh you were 30 seconds off on that You're out Next person in You know Andy Moore like choreographing because we, we ain't got time, yeah, you know. Right. And that's, yeah, you know. And, yeah. So, so let me ask you because I'm just trying to paint this picture if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. So you're on the set. How do you keep yourself actively involved? Like, like let's paint the picture for the for the audience, to the listeners, to people who are out there. Like, what is your day to day like as, as when you're shadowing, and then we'll get into you as a director. Well, shadowing, it, I mean. Outside of having my shot list and paying attention to, you know, I, so like like when he huddles with the DP, like are you in the huddle? Like what? No, you know what? It's it's uh, that's the thing. There's an art to shadowing, I think, mm-hmm. where you you're there, but you don't want to be intrusive, right? And you don't want to be too vocal because I've I've heard about shadows offering their opinion, <laughs> but nobody asked, them. and that goes left real quick. Right. You can look back like, who the fuck are you, and why right. are you talking? Right. And so what you do is you you say nothing. Until they ask you, hmm. but when they ask you, you better you got, have some you, shit you, in your mind. Oh, right. you got some shit to say, right. you know. Right. And they're, they're like, oh, not only is this guy paying attention, oh, he's got ideas on mm-hmm. top of ideas on top of ideas, mm-hmm. you know. So that's that's the thing. If you as a shadow, you observe you observe everybody, the, you know, the cast, the crew. You, you observe the machine and how it's moving, dynamics, the dynamics mm-hmm. of everything, the culture, yeah. the culture, mm-hmm. correct? Because every show has a different culture, right? And you have to figure out, you know, various elements and components of that culture as well. And it's it's a, it's a chess game all the time. You can, thank you. You're constantly paying attention. And like I said, as a shadow, just your presence in the back. You just you you get a chance to just observe and observe everything. And not just the director working with the actors. Everybody goes to that, mm-hmm. and that's important. But you also you observe the director working with the DP, the director working with the set designer, mm-hmm. the director working with props. You know what I'm saying? You you, you work with the AD working with the 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 the, the PAs. The DP working with the grips. Yeah. I mean, you you look at all of these different factions, mm-hmm. and they give you an overall uh, uh, elevation, mm-hmm. you know. And and so me shadowing PD, I, I came back from there and went right into my episodes of Rebel. And then do after doing PD that shadowing situation, I said, okay, I'm definitely more prepared than I've ever been to do Rebel. Mm-hmm. And that's what led me to those, mm-hmm. those two episodes. Now, now, even though the culture was different on Rebel, I'm assuming too. Yeah, yeah. And it, because but you were able to adjust. Because you also have to be very malleable as well. You, right. you can't be an oak. Right. You gonna get broke. You know. You you got to be smart enough to say, okay, you know, it, like, and for for example, you, you always have to pay attention to who is in power, mm. and it's it can, it's never the same person mm-hmm. on every situation. Mm-hmm. You know, and and not just in their varying degrees of power. You know, and it's not like somebody's coming in like you know a dictator or anything right. like that. Just acknowledging who has power and how they wield their power. Let me ask you a question. Now, how do you deal with, because some shows have like that, that main, like, like Paris on shows, like he's the main director who probably directed the pilot. Mm-hmm. So he's like responsible for the directors and production in that sense of a way, like mm-hmm. the EP, like that. Yeah. How do you deal with that 
person overseeing you as well as like the showrunner or the writer of the episode? Like, who who are you listening to? Well, you know what? Usually, well, based on my experience, mm-hmm. the producing director is usually there to help you achieve and, and just kind of set you up and say, here's the lay of the land, okay. you know? And, and also the writer, the, the showrunner as well. And sometimes the showrunner directs as, has directed as well. So you listen to all of them, right. you know. But there's going to be one that you're going to be spending a lot more time with than out of all the three. The showrunners usually got right. it, their hands full. Right. And the, that's why I preface it by saying, right. or the writer right. of the episode. And, and the producing right. director is the one who's been there, who, who knows the, uh, the lay of the land, right. tells you the minefields, tells you this could be problematic. Mm-hmm. Do this. Do, I suggest this. Suggest that. Throw them ideas. I'm like, what do you think about this? They're like, oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Do that. And that you know, and so I, I try to align myself with the producing director. If a, they have one. If they have one. <laughs> right. AD and DP. Okay. You know, and I've been yeah, fortunate. You're, you're pretty good with just, right. Yeah. Right. I've, I've been fortunate to work with some ADs and DPs that are just as excited as I Because I'm excited, man. Right. I'm happy to be on set. Right. I'm happy to be. It's a privilege. It's Shit. a privilege. Right. I mean, I've had enough shit jobs. Say, man, there are a million places I could be. I want to be right here. Right. I want to be here. Right. And I, I think that enthusiasm can be infectious. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I keep the collaborative thing going as well. I don't come in like, and I got this from Jonathan Demi as well. Like, mm-hmm. man, you can get a great idea from a PA if you're open to it. Right. And I've learned that, I mean, I can have a camera operator come with a bomb-ass idea. Mm-hmm. And I acknowledge, like, you, dude. You're the real MVP today. That's a bomb ass <laughs> idea. Right. So you tell somebody that and say, right. I acknowledge you right. and I thank you and I'm grateful for what you did. Mm-hmm. The ideas keep coming. Right. Right. So I'll, I'll you're gonna come, get the credit anyway. Right. I'll come with an idea that's like a five. The AD comes with an idea that makes it a six. Mm-hmm. DP comes with an idea that makes it an eight. Right. Actors come with an idea that makes it a ten. I'm busting dimes. Mm. Just like that. Right. You know, because I allow myself to say, you know what? Here's here's our intention. Here's what we're trying to achieve. Here's my idea. How can we elevate on that? Right. You know what I'm saying? And I have, I have humility. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say, we got to do it this way, this way, this way. So, now, sometimes you have to dig your heels in and say, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but we want to make sure we do this. And here's why. Right. And it, it's never- you know the puzzle. Exactly. Right. I know the puzzle, and it's never based in ego. Mm-hmm. Never. Because if you base in ego, you're going to lose. You're setting yourself up right. to fail. It's always based in story. Right. If, it's always ba- if it's based in story and rooted in the story, and as Eric LaSalle says, the story is your Bible. And if you follow that Bible- It'll lead you to said promised land or whatever. Right. So, and, and, and it's hard to dispute, you know, the story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it, you'll know if something is elevating, enhancing, or injuring the story. And that's something I learned from uh, James Cameron. Mm. He, too, had a shitty film he did. <laughs> and he said, you know, certain ideas can injure the integrity of the film. Mm. And I said, damn, I wish I knew that shit in 2007. <laughs> I was getting a barrage of ideas that injured the integrity of that film. You know what I'm saying? Well, see, this is an interesting point. There's two things about that. And, and, and you said so much interesting stuff, and there's, and there's, a, there's, and there's a question I want to ask you. One, the, the, the story is everything. And it's your job to make it like run smoothly visually and I think that's where a lot of people kind of like you said they their ego gets in the way because they think that that because they're the director possibly because if they come from film and they've been the writer director that that they have more weight on what's happening 
And in television, you're coming in on a machine that has already developed everything. And like you said, all these other people have ideas. You want their ideas. My thing is, it, it doesn't matter if you're doing TV or doing your own movie. You want everyone's idea. Like It's kind of like your job as a director is to say yes or no to ideas, but they have to be... You have to create that space to facilitate the ideas yes. all the time, mm-hmm. and that and and the integrity <laughs> of the fi- of the st- of the of the fi- of the the making of it is also you get this fight a lot of times with producers when you're writing, they tr- try to like harm the integrity of the story when you're writing it, right. and that's a good line to say to them to like get them to back off of notes about shit. Go, this can fuck up the integrity of of, of what we of what we to injure yes. the film. Yeah, hit, hit him with that line. Yeah. Like, they're like, oh, fuck, you've thought about this because mom, th- <laughs> they're played. They're played. Yeah. But here's something I want to ask you because I hear about this all the time and I know it's very key. What's the tone meeting like? Yeah, I was going to ask you about that too. Ah. So Let, let's set up what it is for the people who don't know what that is. The tone meeting <laughs> is when you sit with the, the showrunner, the producing director, mm-hmm. AD, and you basically go scene by scene discussing what they want what their intention was with that scene, you know, and it kind like of what gives, type of questions are being like, answered, asked there. Let me see. Like, uh, hmm. Okay, I'll ask you this from your episode. There's the scene when they have to. Uh, I forget the guy's name, but the main <laughs> cop goes and he has the meeting with that crooked attorney, the crooked judge. Oh, the judge, yeah. and he's mm-hmm. asking him. Mm-hmm. You know, I need you to do this for me. Mm-hmm. I need you to let you know, like you know, like Elias Coteus has got to get off. Yeah. And there's that pushback. They're right. in his office. Mm-hmm. So, what was the tone for that scene? So, the tone for that scene was, it, it goes back to the the original Bible, which is Hank Voigt is used to using various ways to get his way, and he uses his way because he always has something on somebody. And so, in that meeting. The, the, big, the big thing was he's not, he, the big thing was he's not going to come in there ham-fisted, heavy-handed, like, you're going to do this for me. He's going to use subtlety. You're going to do this for me because let me remind you of the <laughs> you information me, that I have. <laughs> no, no, it's not that I owe you. It's just I know what you did. Mm. And you get a pass from me right. because I get it. Right. But just don't forget I know what you did. Because I know what you did, you're going to do X, Y, right. and Z. A little bit of blackmail going yeah, on. Yeah, right. Influence, right. suggestion, <laughs> and that's what makes, and that's what gives it layers and colors, right. you know. And working with an actor like Jason Beggy, who, who plays Hank Voigt, he knows those mm-hmm. layers and those colors. Mm-hmm. He and he knows how to give your character an arc where you're not on this plateau the entire time. Right. It starts here and then builds there in every scene, you know. And like I said, and I learned so much from working with these guys and. Little things that just, you know, when you're looking at a scene, there's always a moment like, okay, this is the moment we're getting to. This is, what, this, this is that, that line mm-hmm. or that, 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 that beat between these two lines is the moment. That's the crust right. of the scene. Right. You know, right. and you can discuss that with them. And, and so to answer you guys' question, in the tone meeting, they give you the overview. Okay, just know that Hank's not going to come in there ham-fisted. He's going to come in there like they're old friends mm-hmm. and then just kind of throw out the situation. With the overall arc looming that Hank is getting desperate because his buddy is in jail and time is ticking because when a cop is in jail, his time is numbered. Oh yeah. So it's all and it's always so it's always rooted in how do you raise the stakes? How do you keep it compelling? Because when you raise the stakes, you keep it compelling, the audience is, ain't going nowhere. Right. They ain't going nowhere. <laughs> They're like, oh shit. <laughs> you know. The goal is to create as many oh shit moments as you can. Mm-hmm. At least, I mean, that's even in screenplay. I remember reading that. 
And uh, which book did I read that in? They said, you want to have at least three or four oh shit moments in the script. Because if somebody's reading your script and says, oh shit, that means you got them. Totally. You got them. Right. Like, wow. Oh shit. And I've seen some movies, I'm like, oh shit. I've seen some, mm-hmm. some moments in TV shows, like, oh shit. Right. So, you know, right. that, that, those are words to live by. So, uh, to go back to your question about the tone meeting, we discuss every scene, you know, in uh, and, and, and every scene, we, we discuss every scene, the character arcs of the episode, you know, the, the narrative arcs in the episode, so that I look at it as I love tone meetings, man, because it gives me the ultimate cheat sheet. So I'm on set. I'm on set. I know exactly what I... Here's what we need to achieve, guys. Now, what's happening isn't quite what we need. It's not getting us there. So so if I know we need to achieve, and and I'm on set, and it's not happening, okay, there's a disconnect. There's a gap here. So it's either a, a, a note to make that transition to elevate it, or just modifying... Blocking composition can mm-hmm. totally, you know, what I'm saying? so just just knowing once once you get that tone meeting cheat sheet, man. I mean, you're just armed with all of the information, right. and so that when you're on set and you're having a conversation with an actor who isn't quite understanding why we're we doing this or, or what's what's happening here, you can explain it deftly, and you get to a point, and it, 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 you can explain it succinctly in a way like, okay, because that's the, and people always talk about actors being difficult and everything like that. Now there are some actors that are difficult. That's just part of business. <laughs> But I think a lot of it comes from a fear of, I don't know what's happening. Right. I don't, don't want to look like a fool. I don't trust what's right. happening here. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if you can constantly make an actor feel comfortable and say, I got you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let you look crazy because that's going to make me look crazy. So we can't have that. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's when they start to say, okay, he's got my back. Mm-hmm. Now that, we can build. And that's the trust that you got to get from the actors. Yeah. And it's great because you're right. I mean, like. Actors balk when they don't understand what's happening. And I think that why people might not get that, particularly screenwriters, mm-hmm. is that screenwriters spend so much time fucking writing and, and laboring over like every period, comma, and letter into the thing. Right, yeah. But actors will pick up a script and go, so what's my character's name? Johnny. And, and you know what? And they'll rifle through the script and just find where Johnny is. Mm-hmm. And not read shit else. <laughs> but where Johnny is... So they don't know the puzzle. They don't know now, the now whole... The, now, the flip side of that is you have some actors that know their character inside and out. And they'll look at some words like, I'm not saying that shit. Well, yeah, right. well, well, I'm not saying that yeah, shit. Right. And that's right, because they stopped and read everything. Yeah. They know all the nuances. Uh, they, they know, yeah, I'm, I mean, the, the actor will know everything about who he is, but he might not know what's, what's happening in another scene without him. Right. You know, mm-hmm. because yeah. this, he's like, right. why, why should I even read that scene? I'm mm-hmm. not even in it. Why, yeah. why waste prep time? Yeah. Now, there are certain guys, you know, like fucking Anthony Hopkins is this way, where he knows everybody's line and every script. He knows the entire right? He can fucking tell he everybody knows the, the mythos and everything. Yeah. Right. yeah. But I learned this from, uh, there's a, a director, his name is Mark Travis. He's got some great books. One is called The Director's Trick Bag. Mm-hmm. And in that book, he talks about sometimes people get hung up on the words. And what they miss is instead of getting hung up on the words, you got you to gotta focus on the intention. And when you can talk to an actor and say, I'm not saying that shit. I'm not saying that. It's stupid. Okay. Let's look at what you're, what's, being, what's, what's being communicated here. And if you can strip away that and get to the intention, then they'll make that adjustment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and what I like, well, especially when you're working with beastie actors, you, you, let, them, you let them breathe. You, know, you, can't, you can't ride them and overdirect them. Like, no, move this way. Move that. that that's, that's too heavy. It, it, it impedes their creative process. And as and as as out of respect to their craftsmanship, 
you say, okay, I'm going to let you find your way. And they will modify and make adjustments. But it's all about that character's intention and that character's art. And when you speak that language with them, and that's why I'm in, I'm in acting classes now. Just, just, yeah. just so I can that's their figure craft. out ways to give that one note mm-hmm. that takes a scene from here to there right. in a short amount of time. Because mm-hmm. you don't have time to rehearse. I would love to rehearse with my actors. I would love that. And, and, but it doesn't really happen much in television. But what works to my advantage is... Right, they just block it. They, block it. Read the words, block it. But what works to my advantage is conversations. Mm-hmm. We know they can act. It's not about, can you act? Right. This isn't an audition. Right. We've been on the show for six, yeah, six, six, six years. Look. It's all about, here's where your character is. Give me your thoughts about how you want to execute this. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, you know, then I, then I also, I always ask them their thoughts. Then I give them mine. Mm. I don't always say, well, "What do you think?" And that's it. I'm like, I, I have an opinion. Right. I want to hear your opinion first, out of respect. Like you said, it's a courtesy thing, right. and that also, also that courtesy and that respect elevates the level of trust. Because I love to be trusted. To me, the the beg the the what I strive for is to be on set, and the producers are like, "He's got it. Yeah, he's got it." Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We don't have to babysit. Yeah, we got to babysit, here. right? I don't. I don't ever want to be babysat. Right. I gotta worry about the next episode. I don't want to be micromanaged. I don't want to be babysat. Like no. you guys can go to the office and handle your job because you right. got a million other things to do right. in terms of other edits, other scripts. It's a whole machine going right. on. In this space, I got it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Take a look at the data if you like, but trust me to execute for you. Right. You know. So that's cool. my. That's what's up. So <laughs> I, I, we going really long, but um, <laughs> what's, it's cool. What's no, there was a ton of game in there. I, just, I wanted to hear it because, like I said, Chris is moving into this right now. We're really trying to focus to get him. Mm-hmm. He's ready. He should be directing some yeah. shit on TV, mm-hmm. him yeah. and his brother. And um, so so what's next for you? I know you told us earlier something else was coming up. Yeah, so uh, I just had an episode of Chicago PD air last Wednesday. Mm-hmm. and uh, This is I dropping got... on Monday, by the way. Oh, this, this Monday. Oh, wow. Yana. Okay. All right. <laughs> what kind of ever? What kind of ever? Uh, I got an episode of the originals that will be airing uh, May thirtieth. You said May thirtieth. Yes, May thirtieth. Cool. And then uh, next season, uh, get to work. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, 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 it has been confirmed. I got a couple shows that I've booked, but I'd rather not speak on okay, yet. Just, yeah. just hey, wait till you sign some shit. Yeah. Cable or or or, or network or both. Or, or, okay, both. Yeah, okay. I, I have a pretty big year coming up. Yeah. Cool. So I'm, that's why I'm, I'm out here running, getting yeah. in shape. You know, yeah. and that's another thing, man. Staying in shape, oh eating healthy, God. helps you on set, right? Because I, I tracked it, man. You you basically moving around about four four and a half miles a day on your feet mm-hmm. at, when you're directing. Hmm. So I'm trying to I keep that pace. If I right. could do four miles of walking or running every day, that right. kind of keeps me. You know, it keeps me healthy, and then eating clean. Like I'm off the sugar Monday through Friday right now. Just trying. Really, that's man, I, that's so smart. Because yeah. on the set, but you directing to uh, like, what do you? I want? was in Chicago. Right, I had they a will make with you whatever you want. Yeah. They were making these chocolate chip cookies that were uh-huh. like heavenly. And I said, dude, we got to meet because this is too much. <laughs> I can't say no. I'm a crack. I'm a sugar addict. Come <laughs> on, too. man. So we had. <laughs> don't, I don't, even, don't even look at me. No, no. I'm, I'm sitting over here crushing. I'm like, I'm, I can smell the chocolate. I'm like, don't even talk. I'm, only, I'm sweating and whatnot. Like, ah, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. But, yeah. but 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 I but here's the thing. I try to be so disciplined on set not to eat chocolate because or cookies and shit because yeah. Well, you bring your own shit sometimes. I, sometimes yeah. I bring my own yeah. shit because oh, I mean, well, somebody's crafty. I know, no, no, no I, I know that. But the thing I is, is but the thing. Look, I want to stay like you said to eat clean because the thing I hate the most is. Um, 
you know, like that those those last two hours before the, the day's over, mm-hmm. that's when everyone is slowing down. Oh yeah, and it's like you know, and and it's something you said. Everybody about, sipping Red Bull yeah, and shit. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's the thing. It's the thing you said about being um, uh, being eager and being excited to be on set. You're setting a tone for everybody else. Mm-hmm, so yeah. you're staying. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And, and you know, like yeah. until it's, you know. People ride and, that and, energy. Until it's like, that's mm-hmm. the martini. Mm-hmm. Then you keep everyone else fucking ready to go, yeah, right, you know. Right. I, I wish I had, when I'm on set, well, I'm trying to get better with it. I need more vegetables. But, uh, <laughs> man, I mean, that crafty dude. It's dangerous, but. Dangerous. And I was in Chicago, so I had deep dish pizza here. And oh, right, I mean, it was, right, it was right. crazy, man. See, They'll get you. You can, you can gain eight pounds in a week. Easily. Man. Easily. I'm like. Easily. That's what's up. So, well, thank you, Carl. Uh, that was cool, man. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. Yeah, truly really my pleasure. I, I, man, like I said, I, I'm literally a huge fan of the show. And, thank and you. you all drop game every every. I usually wait till Monday morning to listen. Mm-hmm. I think it drops Sunday nights. Yeah, I always say Monday, but yeah, it's, yeah. It's right. Sunday night. So uh, like midnight. One Sunday night, I listen. I'm like, why yeah. I do that? I just blew my whole Monday. Let me just wait. So yeah, so mo- Monday is that, that's my day. If I'm not working out or just driving somewhere, man, yeah. I just listen to you guys. And uh, Thank you. I was really looking forward to missing uh, meeting uh, Lisa Bolakaja. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah, it's, we, oh, it's all good. It's yeah, all good. I, I had to do it because it, it's Mother's Day this weekend. We usually tape on Sundays. Okay. So mm-hmm. we were like, let's just kind of let's try to squeeze in Carl yeah. and see if he got time. Yeah. See if he's here. Let's do one. Yeah, yeah. You know, otherwise but we'd have to skip. You so. guys keep doing this, man. It's it's really inspiring. Thank man. you. It's really inspiring. It's very enlightening, man. And, and if if anybody has the hunger that I think we all have mm-hmm. to do this and hear this podcast on a regular basis, because like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not bullshitting you when I tell you, I tell all filmmakers, listen to this podcast Thank you. because it gives you game and it gives you homework. Mm-hmm. And that's the best you can give somebody is homework. And if they really want that knowledge, they'll, they'll do the homework. They'll, they'll do, do the homework. homework. And, and, it, and it puts you so far ahead of the game because right. there's so many people that are not. They're right. just kind of winging it. Mm-hmm. And, you know. And this was it's crazy. Craft. Like, there's I'm people who, people who are working who are winging it, oh, you God know. Yes. But and, and there's there's always yeah. that moment where that they might uh, they might crash and burn because they're not steeped in it, you right. know. Yeah, yeah. That's so, what's up. Yeah, so where you at, Carl Seaton? Uh, I am on. Uh, I'm not the most active social media person, mm-hmm. but I am on there. I'm on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. Is Mr. Carl Seaton? Very simple. It, Mr. Carl Seaton. S E A T O N. That's that. Where you at, Chris? I am on Twitter, Instagram at unauthorized CBD, uh, and then there's a website shadowboxercinema.com or .net. I always forget. <laughs> and we're we're coming with a Patreon soon, and I'm it might be up for this trip. episode. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll, I'm switching the Libsyn thing, which is the thing that does the podcast, to something else called Pippa, and they have transcripts. So yeah. we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll get yeah, that shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're gonna start doing transcripts, all that shit. Oh, that's dope. I just that's don't have really time good. for all that yeah, shit. I, 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 just, I understand because you, you, you know working, man. But, 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 no, but that's, yeah, the, that's, that's the, dope, that's the main right. reason we're going to do the Patreon because we might get someone to, you know, because one of the things I realized when looking at transcripts is like, you know, like they're like, there's all those hot links and shit right. like that. And it's like, that's what I feel if we get it going, that's yeah. what we should be offering people. So right. when we mention an obscure ass film or, or read this book right, or something, yeah. it's like, click, this is right. what it is. So now, you know what? Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because you all are constantly dropping so much game. That like I've had to pull over and write some shit down to go look at that you all mentioned. But that's what he's talking about. I'm saying if they want it, oh, they'll do that. True, true. So, true. It, 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 so here's a slippery slope that I find myself in. I want to enlighten mm-hmm. up and coming filmmakers. I don't want to enable them. You know what I'm saying? Right. Meaning, here's the game. Right. Now, if you want it, go get it. 
But I'm not about to carry you over the, you know. That has kind of been a little bit of my philosophy up to this point. But I think that, like, I look at my, look at our Twitter for Screenwriters RR, and I'm like, we have like, I don't know, 16, 1,700 people or something like that. Mm-hmm. We should have 30, 40, 50, 60,000 people. That's how many people listen to the show. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But yeah. I'm hardly on there. I don't promote it. Usually I hardly tweet. I mean, I mm-hmm. just tweet the show. You know what I mean? So yeah, I have yeah. like nothing else to say because I don't have time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. but so there's a part of me that's like, okay, it'd be nice to see 10,000 people or something. But we have to do things to get them, though. You know what I mean? And most of the kids today who listen to these shows, whether it be script notes or anything, they have all these things that we don't oh, have. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. You feel me? Gotcha. They have okay. the patrons. They have the mm-hmm. the links the and links the, and stuff. I mean, it's, it's <clears> not going to be everything that we talk yeah. about because I was this guy was saying, oh, you should like – uh, you'd be taking notes like doing the episode and, and I'm like I'm like, you know what, I'm not gonna take notes. If there's one big thing we talked about that we liked, you know, like right. something that I remember like there was a book that that book that Lisa had her story in, mm-hmm. like she mentioned it quickly and I didn't forget right. to ask her, like right. just something like that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not telling everybody. Yeah, yeah. I don't have time. Right. I'm not going to. I mean I mean that time we were talking and you were, and I gave you that thing. I was like, I'm not doing that. I ain't got time to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. No, I'm a regular. It's a few people get yeah, that right. from I me. Feel you, right? I, I appreciate that too. Yeah. Let me say one last thing, Go man. Ahead. So I love podcasts, man. In fact, I, I usually listen to podcasts most of the music nowadays. So do I. And, uh, I wake up in the morning. Podcast. After I get out the shower, I put po- on a podcast. Put on a podcast, absolutely. Right. And my favorite podcast was Combat Jack. Oh, Combat Jack is awesome. And he passed. Yeah, recently. Recently. Mm-hmm. And I must say, man, you guys have definitely stepped in and have replaced. Because there was a void. I was right. like, man, I don't really have a favorite like that. Now and you guys have definitely. Well, thank you, man. Who awesome. come back, Jack. I didn't even notice. Oh, you got to hook oh, him up my, to that. Yeah, my brother. We'll, we'll talk after. Yeah, this. yeah. That's yeah. the hip hop shit, right there. Oh yeah, it's a real. Yeah. Listen. Oh yeah, you be. Uh, you in for. You right. are in for a treat. It reminds <laughs> yeah. me of a dope podcast we should be listening to. It's called Atlanta Monster. Amazing. Yes, it's, that's a miniseries it's, right there. Yeah, that's it's, a miniseries. Yeah, it's man. about the you know yeah. the, the um the child murderers. Child murders, Atlanta, child murders yeah. like the oh, early oh, like yeah, eight, yeah, 1980, yeah. 81. Yeah. yeah, and the investigation and the accusations behind it, the conspiracy theories and mm-hmm. everything around it. It was yeah. It's funny. I started listening to it when I was in Atlanta. I'm like. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be honest. He's <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm gonna go down that street. <laughs> <I'm of Asia. laughs> yeah, yeah. That's y'all keep that. doing it, man. Y'all keep Thank kicking you, ass, man. This is and eventually, we're gonna do the shit with you and Jeff Bird at some point. <laughs> if, I, if I wish I had a picture of this motherfucking face right now, <laughs> look at that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? We got two episodes, but hey, I told you, Carl. Most people never make it to six. Yeah, that's true. This is why. You know, now the good thing is you guys are both busy. You guys are both starting to direct Hella TV. Yeah. So it's a good thing, at least the reasons why. Yeah. To this mm-hmm. point. So you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Is what it is. Maybe maybe what we could do, we could discuss it. I could just put them as a bonus on this fucking show if you guys want. Whatever. The, so they're not just sitting there. You know what I mean? So it's a thought. That is a good thought. So yeah. we'll talk. We'll talk. Thought. Okay. Shout, man. Cool. Well, y'all know how we do it on the rant room. I am your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Hilliard Guest. You can follow the show, Screenwriters RR, on Twitter. <clears throat> Any questions, screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. Um, please go on iTunes, give us a five-star review. We need that for the metrics. Um, Facebook, follow us on there. I, Instagram, all that bullshit. Um, <laughs> I love saying that shit. Uh, big shout-out to all the countries that follow us. We appreciate all you guys. Um, shout-out to my dude, Eric Harbin, who edits this thing every week. Um, Chris got some shit we about to drop. It's going to be cool. 
soon. <laughs> we got T-shirts coming, everything. Um, yeah, so we're going we gonna to do some things. You know, it might take us a minute, but we're going to do it. Oh, no, y'all, you all are growing, man. This, this, this is amazing, bro. That's what's up. So y'all know how we're doing on the Rant Room. Big shout out to Lisa also. Um, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, everybody? Wakanda. Wakanda. Peace, y'all. I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Rant Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminished and the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring no game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room. Red Room.